Hello and welcome to Scholar in the Culture, a weekly podcast series about the Carolina Panthers and their approach to the 2021 NFL Draft. We are a proud part of the Ride Network, and please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe if you enjoy what we have to say. I am your host, JJ Hardy, and you can find me at Panthers Culture on Twitter. And joining me, as he will be every week, is Vincent Richardson, Managing Editor at The Ride Report. What's up, Vince? Hey, JJ. How are you? Doing well, doing well. Um, Ashley, I'm doing excellent. After this weekend and you know seeing this draft, I feel really good about what Scott Fitter and Matt Rule were able to do. Uh, I think overall they nailed the draft. It wasn't perfect, but it was as close to perfect as I could imagine when I consider we entered the draft with, I think, eight picks, and we ended up with 11. And I think we made some quality picks, you know, throughout those 11 picks. And obviously to get there, the, the scheme was, no, the theme, I should say, was trading down. Yeah. And um, what was your take on all of the trades? You know, um, it was definitely different for us. So so what did you think about all of the trading? And yeah. did we get any value or did we lose value? What, what's your take? I, I think um, I think we definitely added value. I think, you know, I'm sort of a fairly big proponent of trading down in general. Um, I, I think in a way I was a little surprised by how surprised people were about all the trading down. Like, I, I, you know, I think it's probably one of those things where people probably haven't paid that much attention to what Seattle's been doing in the draft over the last five years as a Panthers fan. Right, um, we tried to warn them. Yeah, yeah but yeah, it, Seattle have really, you know, it, it, it's hard to understand just how aggressive they have been in trading down. And I think sometimes to a fault. And I think you can, you, you know, there's a discussion that you can definitely get hooked on the idea of trading down rather than doing it in a, in a sensible way. Um, but, but, you know, f- was it five trades in the end, four or five trades? Five. five yeah, five. that's not yeah. that many. I mean, you know, it, it's a few, but it's, you know, when you start making 14, 15 trades, then I think you get sort of into whole new territory, but this is, this is fairly solid average Seattle territory sort of five trades is pretty much what I'd expect. Yeah. I, I think it was surprising for Panthers fans, because, you know, with those five trades, I, I believe it was the Panthers record for trades mm-hmm. during a draft. And I think it goes all the way back to the inaugural season, 1995 or something like that. Yeah, no, I I, I definitely understand that it's I mean, it, it is definitely very different from from what we've seen in recent years. Um, you know, neither Marty Herney or Dave Gettleman were, were very big proponents of trading back. So I, I think it is it is something new for Panthers fans, but I certainly don't think it's going to be a something unique to the 2021 draft. I think we will probably see similar approaches as long as Scott Fitterer is 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 GM. Um, yeah. In terms of the actual trades they made, I think there were some interesting moves. Um, I am a little surprised they didn't trade down in the first, um, given given how much value you could potentially get from doing so. Uh, I think that probably speaks to just how high they were on JC Horn. Um, yeah. And we, we'll talk a little bit about that in a second. Um, but I, I, I think there is a chance they felt pressure to trade down in the second because they hadn't traded down in the first. Um, right. I think the trade they made in the second round, I think they got pretty good value out of it. Um, I just think, I think they ended up too badly in the end, but I think they traded back a long way in the second. Um, I, I think trading back 20 spots from from basically 39 to 59, admittedly with two trades, but but that's a that's a big move back. Um, and I 
I think the the issue is when you the, the the downside to trading back is when you move back a very long space where you have no picks in between. So if you if the Panthers had picks, say forty five and thirty nine, if you move back from thirty nine to fifty three, that's effect, it's not too bad because you still give yourself that other pick in the middle, and you know depending on how the board starts to fall, you can then take someone at forty five, or it gives you a bit more flexibility. I I think there were definitely some some very good players who did go off the board in the second round between where they were meant to pick and where they ended up picking. Um, definitely were. Yeah. <laughs> definitely were. So I, I think, you know, it's one of those things where ultimately with trading down, you have to set your board, you have to set the gaps between the players and you have to stick to your board and be rigorous in how you do it. You know, that, that there's, as long as the Panthers did that, I have no problem with it. Um, I think they may be, were a little bit over-aggressive in trading down the second round, particularly. I think the trades beyond that, I, I have no problem with. Um, I just think the, yeah, I, I'm wrong. I don't even like think it's that bad a thing, but I think you, that that is a notably big gap to jump back, particularly when they talk about the strength of the top 50 picks. And, and don't be wrong, they, they ended up picking 59. So if like five guys had gone off before before they, they um, traded down who they didn't think were top 50 picks, I think it's not unreasonable. But I think that was about as far back as I could imagine them trading in the second round. Yeah, I mean, honestly, when I saw the first trade back, I started watching the board, you know, just because I was concerned about all of the talent that I wanted going off immediately after we traded back. And so I was watching the, the board very intently. And what I noticed was a lot of the guys who I thought would go weren't going. And so I tweeted during that time, oh, uh, we should trade back again. I didn't know how much further we'll go back, but I was thinking, I was like, it, it wouldn't surprise me to see them try to trade back again and stay in the second. I was shocked when it happened. <laughs> but I knew that they would want to accumulate picks. You know, we talked about that in the preview last week, and I didn't know how they would go about doing it. I felt like they would do it throughout the draft, um, particularly once they didn't do it in the first, I felt like, they would definitely have to do it in the second in order to get really good value because that's the sweet spot that we spoke about. You know, you want to get as many picks um, between one and 50 and then one in 80 and then one in 100, you know, as, as possible. And so that was the area they had to play with. Um, I was, um, I was just, I was satisfied because too often I watch other really good franchises um, you know, do that, you know, during the draft. And as you mentioned, it wasn't like some, you know, crazy amount of trade backs, you know, that, that occurred. But there were, you know, opportunities for them to do it and, and they didn't hesitate to do it. You know, we as Carolina Panthers fans aren't accustomed to that. You know, we watch other teams do it every year. And so it was good to be part of that and, and, and to be able to see, you know, some value still um, acquired even after, the trade back. So you get, you know, you get extra picks and then you get somebody good when it's time for you to pick. They may have not been the guy you had in your mind you wanted for that round, but you still came away for, you know, with some value. So I, I was, I was excited to see it, man. And, um, and like what you said is it sets the table for what you should expect from a Scott Federer draft going yeah. forward. Because I think this year, the first round was, you know, where we, kind of expected the trade back to happen. But I think the way they're looking at it is, okay, 
we had the overall eight pick and, and, and a lot of the fans, you know, were actually trying to make this point, you know, over the last week or so is that when you have the uh, a top 10 pick like that, you know, how many chances would you be able to get a guy that good? And I think for them, they, they probably had a list of about, you know, five to seven guys, you know, that they were willing to draft um, at, at number eight. But there were probably two or three of those guys that they felt if we go from eight to 15, we definitely won't get a chance to get at 15. And yeah, I, think, I, mean, I, I, I think the one that they got was one of those guys that they felt like if we don't get him, then somebody else is going to make a move to get them before we get a chance again. And, and that's just a risk we're not willing to take. Um, oh, no, I, 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 do, I, I do understand that. I, I think ultimately yeah. you have to come back to the point that building a roster is about the roster as a whole. It's not about one or two players. And, and don't be wrong, I'm not saying that means that they, they definitely should have traded back with Jason Horn isn't a good player or anything like that. But that you... I don't, I don't think you have to view it as from a holistic point of view and about how you get better as a team, not just how much better each pick makes you. I mean, don't right. wrong, if the Panthers had traded back to 15, they would not have got JC Horn. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, they, yeah. they would not have got a player of that caliber. They would have got a slightly worse player, in the, at least in their view, a slightly worse player. However, with that said, you could probably have got extra picks and the gap, you know, potentially the gap between the player you could have got and JC Horn is not as big as the extra picks you could have got. I mean, yeah, I, and the talent I, you could have got with those extra picks. I, I think the one thing that it makes, it surprises me a little bit about the approach they took is that this cornerback group was really, really deep. Yeah. Um, and I think while you can make it, I think there is a reasonable argument you can make that JC Horn is the best cornerback in this class. I think, particularly given the fact that talk about how much they want to play man coverage, I think you can make a real argument in that case that JC Horn is, is the best corner in this class and is definitely a top 10 prospect in this class. Um, but that you could have got a player almost as good around later, whereas at some other positions there was a real drop off. And I mean, I, I, you know, when, when we got to day two, there was a lot about you know people wanting to Panthers to draft the left tackle. I, I just don't I don't think there was a left tackle on the board after the Vikings took Darasaur at twenty three. Like I think that was the point where the left left tackles ended. Other than the guys like Hudson or Cosme, who are just not going to play as rookies, and, and, yeah. you know, unless they take massive steps forward, just aren't ready. Um, yeah. I, I you know Tevin Jenkins. You know people were mad at Panthers past and Tevin Jenkins. He's not a left tackle, and I, I he only makes sense if you're replacing Taylor Moten. And that feels like a very odd thing to be doing when you still have Taylor Moten. Then he's, you know, but, you know, that feels like a, a a strange path to take. So I, I think the, you know, if the Panthers wanted to get a left tackle in this draft, or at least a, a definite left tackle, they needed to have taken one in the first round. Yeah. Um, and I think JC Horn maybe was so good they felt they couldn't pass on him, and that's perfectly like reasonable. I, you know, I I can't disagree with that, but. Uh, that does mean that I think once they did that, it was then, okay, tackle is probably off the board now, at least in the second and third round, at least in the second round, they took Christensen in the third, but but you're then looking, okay, what other needs do we have and cornerback haven't been met? You, I think that that taking JC Horn had a real impact on what they did in the second round because it basically took tackle and cornerback off the list of options at 39. And then you're looking at receiver and safety defensive tackle so it, I think that cut down their options a lot more than 
it necessarily seemed like it did. Yeah, I get that. You know, one thing, you know, without staying on that topic too long, I want to make sure that we get this in. Um, watching the draft early and waiting for our pick to happen, there was something very special occurring that every Panthers fan was watching. And that was the fall of Justin Fields. Yeah. I only want to bring this up because I know that there are certain listeners who would want to know why we would pass on the opportunity to draft Justin Fields. Even, you know, watching, you know, some of the, the draft analysts talk about our draft hall. I, I, I read one saying that, you know, this was a great Panthers draft, but if they had drafted Justin Fields at eight, it would have almost been perfect. So I know we talked about this before, Vincent. I don't know if everybody was listening, but in your words, why did the Panthers pass on Justin Fields at eight? So I think the only reasonable expectation is that they did not have that much faith in his ability to develop. And, and I know people have said like, well, this is a, a you know validation of Sam Donald as a as a quarterback, and you know this means they really believe in Sam Donald. I think they probably believed in Sam Donald to some degree beforehand. I mean, you don't trade a second round guy or pick for a guy you don't believe in at all. Um, but ultimately, if they'd have really liked Justin Fields, they should have taken him at eight. I think if they re- if they really liked Justin Fields and didn't take him at eight, that is a failure in judgment, shall we say? Um, yeah, I think what. Assuming that's not the case, and obviously that is an assumption, but assuming that's not the case, um, I think it just suggests that they probably were not as high on fields as some around the media in particular were. No, wrong. I, I was very high on fields as well, but there is there was always a massive caveat with him, which is that he is not ready. How how high you rate him depends a lot on how much you think he can improve, and, and that's you know a coachability, and you know I think from all, from all accounts he is a a very professional and uh, a, a very you know, you know he's he's not sort of a there's not a character concern with him but there is a kind of like fundamentally there are things he can't do that we have to understand whether we think they are things that can be coached or not and if the yeah. Panthers coaching staff don't think they're coachable you know they just just because they just think that the things that he's just not capable of learning for whatever reason or they don't think there's a high probability he learns then I think that's probably why they pass on him you know I, I I think it's one of those things where I think J.C. Horn is a good pick. Um, we'll get to it in a second in a bit more detail, but whatever ends up happening with J.C. Horn, if Justin Fields turns into a top 10 quarterback and Sam Donald doesn't, it, it's, it's going to look bad looking back on it. And I mean, you, you can't draft that way. You know? It's all about probabilities and how likely someone is to reach different levels. Um, and I think there's... You, you can you can make a, the right decision that ends up not being the right decision, if that makes sense. Like, you know, you, you can, with all the information, it's clearly, you know, you, you know, I'm not saying this is the case, but the, you know, there are times when clearly based on all the information available, this is the right decision. And yet it doesn't get borne out to be the right decision. And that can work for you or against you. Um, and I think regardless of that bit, narrative-wise, if Fields works out, this will be talked about in a more negative light. No, I, I definitely agree with that. And um, obviously, I'm a big Justin Fields guy. Been watching it since high school. 
really didn't think it was a big difference between him and Trevor Lawrence, uh, honestly. And, you know, some people won't agree with that. The closer I got to the actual draft, you know, I really had to evaluate whether or not he was actually worse than, than Trevor Lawrence. I mean, I, I think most people would say that Trevor Lawrence is number one. And I won't argue with those people. I just wanted to take as, as an objective step back as I could to really think about, like, what I saw when I watched them play against each other. And I know everything is situational, um, the way teams prepare for the other guy and everything like that. But I just felt like Justin Fields had shown enough, you know, in games head-to-head and other big games to, to say, okay, you know, it's arguable that he could be the top quarterback. And I'm not here to debate that. I just thought that that was the case. And so as the pick started unfolding, we knew Trevor Lawrence was going first. And we almost certainly knew that Zach Wilson was going to the Jets at number two. The big question mark was what was going to happen at number three in San Francisco. And every, you know, everybody was rumoring um, Mac Jones to go to them. And, you know, then, you know, they, we also knew that they were interested in Trey Lance, but there was a big push to get Justin Fields there too, for obvious reasons um, that I had just mentioned. And really didn't know what they would do, but I knew what they would do would shake up, you know, the draft in terms of, you know, who would be available at eight potentially. Yeah. When I looked at Justin Fields, so San Francisco picks Lance, I felt like Atlanta could go Justin Fields. He's a homeboy, you know, so he grew up here in the Atlanta suburbs. And I felt like there was a big push locally because I watched the local Atlanta news for bringing him home and, and keeping him home and then potentially, you know, turn over the franchise to him in, in a year or two after Matt Ryan's contract was over. So I was really watching for that. The crazy part is my wife isn't even interested in football like that, but she was even watching for that, you know, because of the excitement of the people that we, you know, live around and work with. They really wanted Justin. So, but I knew they were also heavy, you know, heavy into pits and, and that's who they went with. So now I'm watching the board, like, wow, like they didn't pick Justin Fields. So I know Cincinnati's not picking him. I'm pretty sure Miami's not picking him. So now it comes down to what Detroit does. And when I saw the the announcement that um, Seal was going to Detroit, I was like, oh my God, the Panthers actually have a a, a chance to to get a, a franchise quarterback in Justin Fields. But something was telling me, like, I don't know if it's going to happen. And then I don't know if you were paying attention, but I was watching how long it was taking them to make the decision. And we were under, like, two minutes, and they still hadn't made a decision yet. And I started thinking, are they waiting for a trade offer? I think they didn't. I think think they they certainly listened to trade offers in the first round. Yeah, I just don't think they got one that they they thought – Got the mo- you know, got you know, got over that critical point of going like, yeah, we can't pass on this. Yeah, um, and I, I think Chicago probably called up, but I think Chicago's pick was where like nineteen or something like 20, that. Twenty, yeah, twenty. I think that was way out of range for them to get any of the guys that they thought they wanted to draft in the first. So I think that could have happened. I don't know if the Patriots were I, truly that I'm, interesting. I'm, I'm sure they got. I'm sure they got. Must have got more than one call because if it was one call, you wouldn't have been on the phone for eight minutes, kind of thing. That's what I'm um, thinking. I, well, That's what I'm so thinking. I, I also think there's a caveat there that, that I think if they were really that high on fields, 
I think it would have taken a king's ransom to move them out of eight. Um, and I, and I, I think if it was field, they probably wouldn't have run the clock down quite as long. I, I, right. yeah, it's one of those things like if, if you're taking a franchise quarterback, you're probably not still talking about it four minutes into the into the clock. Um, no, I you, mean, you, you really just. You're really just hugging each other and giving each other high fives and everything and, and just yeah, you, happy to be able to make that pick. You, you wait to see if someone offers you sort of four first round picks for it just in case. Um, yeah. And then you have a conversation about it. But as long as it doesn't happen, you sort of, yeah, you sort of stride down to the podium and, and, and I know. read down the name. It, but that, that, that brings up something. And this is more conspiracy. So I won't I won't take a lot of time, you know, discussing it. So after we passed on Justin Fields and we picked up J.C. Horn, who is a, a more than justifiable pick, in my opinion, um, I started thinking. They came into the draft without committing to Sam Donald's fifth-year option. Mm-hmm. So in my mind, they definitely were wanting to remain open to somebody dropping to them. Yeah, And considering that we all knew where Trevor Lawrence was going, and and I think we all knew where Zach Wilson was going. I think the wild card that we're not paying attention to is the guy that we saw all three um, of the prominent figures in the Panthers organization go in and watch in, in, in North Dakota, and that was Trey Lance. I People, See, don't, people uh, don't give that a lot of credence, but in my mind, it makes me wonder if Trey Lance was really the guy that they were hoping for all along and they were just kind of just not want to say it and just hoping that if the, if the 49ers drafted um, um, Fields or Mac Jones and for some reason Trey Lance didn't get drafted by eight, then Trey Lance would have been the guy. I, I'm just, I, to me, that's nothing possible. makes sense because they had the opportunity to get Mac Jones and Fields and just didn't pull the trigger. So I'm like, who were you waiting for? And to me, I have I have always felt in my gut it was more Trey Lance than Justin Fields. I just didn't want to say much about it. I tweeted it, but I just didn't want to get hype about it. But I'm thinking, I'm like, man, I think they really like Trey Lance, just like I, San Francisco did. I think there's also some smokescreen element in that as well, which is that if you want teams to think you might take a court, no, you why tell teams something you don't have to tell them? Like if you know, it's not like I guess if you commit to Donald, then that yeah, they know, they know you're not saying well, yeah, but it just do it. Don't. No one thought they weren't going to pick up DJ Moore's fifth year option. Yeah. Some people might have thought they wouldn't pick up Donald if they drafted a quarterback. And right. what you know, there is no need to keep to 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 close that door if it, that door is a little bit open. Basically, then right. there was no benefit to picking it up before the draft. Yeah, like you, no one benefits from that. So okay. why show your hand? You I mean, I get it. I'm, but I still, in my mind, I still think the Panthers love a guy who wasn't um, Trevor Lawrence or Zach Wilson. And, and honestly, and we'll never know. I think it was Trey Lance, but yeah, that's just be. my conspiracy. I won't stay on it, and it doesn't matter. I just wanted us to have this discussion because I knew that Twitter was bothered, and some a lot more than others. Some were really big mad about not getting Justin Fields. And I, and I get that. I felt that. I, I had a little disappointment in my spirit. Like I, I told somebody, I said, I felt my spirit leave my body for a second. And then I had to kind of snatch it back, you know, because I realized that we still had a good pick. But, um, but that was, you know, everything I wanted to discuss about, you know, kind of 
how everything went down and, 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 and what to think about, you know, what happened this weekend with the trading and, and at number eight, you know, what we decided to do. Um, but overall, again, I think most NFL draft analysts would give us a, a pretty favorable grade. I wouldn't give us any less than a, a B, B plus personally. Um, you know, I, I think we were, I would give us an A, an A to A minus. And I know I'm a pretty optimistic guy, but that's just where I'm at with it. Um, if you had to put a grade on it, Vincent, I know you're kind of the bubble burster and the, and the realist between the two. Like, where would you grade us? Um, I always find draft grades interesting. Like, I, I, I can't. I think it was Bucky Brooks. It might not be, so I don't necessarily stick to this. But, but I remember going back and reading draft the, the NFL.com draft grades a few years ago, and I think for the first two rounds there was not a grade lower than a B. And it was yeah. like ultimately, they're, you know, they're not all going to work out. Some of these are not as good as others. You know, I, I think there is definitely a tendency in, in like drafting. You know, you very rarely see like a C grade. In, in you know, it, people either give like A's or B's, or it's an E or an F. There's very few like C pluses or C minuses. Right. Right. I would probably, if I was doing it seriously, I'd probably say somewhere between a C plus and a B minus, in that it is a slightly above average pick for that where it was. Like, you know, okay. it, you know if, if, if you had the eighth pick, I think JC Horn, I think was my seventh best player in the draft. He might have been my eighth, actually. So he was pretty yeah. much about the right value. Like, right. Did, did, like, he was about where I'd expect on my draft board you to pick for the eighth pick. So in that okay. sense, he was kind of pretty fair value. Um, yeah. I think it's interesting because I think, I mean, PFF made a big thing about um, how he's more of a man corner and they play more zone. But I think if you listen to what Matt Rule said after the, after the draft, like they clearly plan to use him in man a lot. Um, yeah. And they clearly plan to use him effectively as an island man in zone coverages. So he's effectively yeah. one-on-one with everyone else playing zone. So it's um, man on his side and everybody else's is on. Not even on his side, but you just like, you you lock up one player inside with his the man. zone. So it's his effectively... Yeah, in the same way that you would blitz. So when you generally when teams blitz out of zones, you're effectively taking one zone defender out and you're making them a blitzer. In right. this way, you take one zone defender out and you make him a man coverage player. So you. So if, we were, if we were playing against Atlanta, and let's say Julio is still there, they put J.C. Horn on Julio, and and they run the rest of the scheme as a zone coverage type scheme. Yeah, 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 potentially. I mean, the, you know, we'll have to see exactly how it works out, but that's like something that you can do in principle. I mean, like the, these mixed coverages either tend to be like half man, half zone, or you stick like one man on an island inside of a zone coverage. Um, right. So, I mean, I think definitely, if you want to play a lot of man coverage, JC Horn is the best cornerback in the draft. Um, right. I think he has some things to work on. I think he needs to be more disciplined in his footwork and he can get a bit crabby at times, which is, you know, something he, you know, he, he needs to make sure he doesn't get as grabby in the NFL because he will get flagged. He got flagged a bit in college, but he'll get flagged more in the NFL. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he's got great movement skills, really quick, agile, uh, speed to cover vertically, very physical corner, does a really good job of, of, of redirecting routes and contests excellently at the catch point. Um, yeah. In zone, he has really good quickness and he does flash some ball skills. Um, there, there is some concern about his ability to locate the ball in the air at times on deeper passes. Um, but, but more importantly, he just needs to continue to work and on sort of the route recognition and, and being able to anticipate in zone. Um, I think he probably 
it would be unfair to expect him to become an elite zone corner. Um, but I think he can be good in zone with time. Um, I, I think it's a good pick. Um, I don't think it's one of those picks where you're like, this is the, you know, the, you know, it, it, it's, it's not going to change the face of the franchise type pick. I don't think, um, yeah. but I think he is a, he is a true number one corner, um, which is going to really help the Panthers a lot defensively. And I mean, you know, it's it's a really big matchup piece for for Phil Snow to work with someone who can you, you would hope will try and take away a team's number one receiver, and no, I think no. that's something most, they really lacked last year. Most definitely, you know, when we talked about the cornerbacks a few weeks ago, you know, we had J.C. Horn as as you know one of the top you know, our top two, you knowing our top two, we really were leaning towards Sertain based on how we saw him fitting, you know, what we saw Phil Snow do last year and, yeah. and them running a lot of zone. Um, but I saw somebody make a good counterpoint over the weekend after the J.C. Horn pick that, you know, that kind of debunked that a bit. And it was like, okay, yeah, that is, you know, a refreshing way of looking at it. It was like, you know, well, maybe we ran so much zone because we didn't have anybody who could play man. Oh, oh there, is, there, is, there is definitely some truth to that as well. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, would so, imagine, you know, I would imagine. I would imagine they. The fact that both. they have J.C. Horn, you know, to me, it's like okay, you know, if now that you have a guy, you know, who you think is better in zone than maybe you know Sertain could be, then that definitely gives you the opportunity to run zone. And, I, and I'm not saying that Sertain can't play zone because I think he can. No, no, no. Sertain is the best zone defender in the draft. Um, yeah, he's the best. He's the best zone. But I mean, I guess man. Yeah. Um, I, you know, and so I, I think, think J.C. Horn being able to play man, you know, for them is what pushed him over the top you know, uh, over a certain, because honestly, I was suspecting if we drafted a, a cornerback that it would be certain first, but they, they're they high on Horn, man, and, and um, I, I think we'll just see why. I think what J.C. Horn gives you in man coverage is flexibility, um, yeah. whereas, like, I think certain, I think the comp I'd have for certain is, like, James Bradbury with better ball skills, in the, right. with his matchup, he can be a really good man coverage corner, right? Um, but there are times where he's going to struggle, you know, you know, not badly, badly, but like if you put him on a smaller, quicker receiver, he's probably not going to do as well. Um, yeah. Whereas JC Horn can basically cover every receiver type. Certainly if he works on the discipline of his footwork, he can. Like he has the size to match up with the bigger receivers, but can also have the quickness to cover the smaller guys. Whereas yeah. Sertain would probably have been fine covering Mike Evans. Would have struggled with an Amari Cooper. Um, right. So it, it, it's... Uh, I, I think Horn is the most balanced man coverage corner in the draft, and 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 that's and that's re, that's refreshing to hear because you know sometimes we all don't get the nuance. You know there were a lot of guys who were high, high on certain, and but you had you no know, you described that when we talked about the cornerbacks. You know you said that certain was definitely a guy who would be able to match up against the bigger wide receivers, but he could struggle if he had to you know deal with somebody who was you know smaller, shiftier, quicker, and. Um, but Horn is somebody who is versatile enough to to go up with the big guys and stay with the smaller, shiftier guys, and um, yeah. and that's and and to you know to the staff, they obviously saw that too. So I'm excited about the pick, and you know, so now that we're talking about you know we have talked about the first round pick, you know, the eighth overall pick in JC Horn, we may as well just go through the rest of the picks. So yeah. you know, just to give you like a overview of everybody who was selected, their position, and where we got them. Um, so JC Horn. You know, was our first round um, eighth overall pick. You know, he is a shutdown corner prospect. We don't know if he's actually going to be that yet, but that's why they picked him there. They expect him to play and play early and be a, a, a difference maker. So so he's our first round guy. They really felt that he was going to 
to give them, you know, somebody who they can immediately um, trust. And, you know, we'll see if that actually pans out. You know, the work is going to be, you know, you know, on him, you know, to prove that he's that guy. It won't be given to him, but, you know, but that's why they drafted him there. So um, the next pick of the draft was Terrace Marshall, wide receiver out of LSU. Um, we, we, we were able to snag him late in the second after a trade back um, that we were talking about earlier. Um, after him, we picked up Brady Christensen, left tackle from BYU, very highly rated, you know, uh, pass protector. Um, you know, level of competition has to be considered there. We don't know what's going to happen with him in terms of where we'll play him, but um, good third round value. Behind him was Tommy Trimble, tight end from Notre Dame, go Irish. Um, versatile, tight end, H-back tight, um, could have been a reach. You know, we'll talk about that further here in a bit. Um, then we ended up trading back in the fourth again, um, and we ended up landing Chuba Hubbard, running back from um, was Oklahoma State. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I, I felt like that was a, a, a pretty big need, you know, to give um, Kristen McCaffrey, you know, a backfield mate, you know, he already has some, some company back there, but, you know, I definitely thought, you know, we needed to get that. Um, the favorite pick of the draft for me was Davion Nixon, defensive tackle from Iowa, being able to snag him in the fifth round. Um, and that fifth round pick coming from one of the trades, um, Keith Taylor was next in the fifth cornerback, six foot three ish maybe 6-4, um, corner out of Washington. Then we um, came behind him in the sixth with Deontay Brown, um, guard from Alabama, massive human being. Um, I think his position is boss. He is a very large guy. man. Yeah, just, a, just a lo- the largest man on the field. Um, and then my homeboy, Shai Smith. Shai Smith, is uh, that pick was special to me. Um, he's a wide receiver from the University of South Carolina. Not a big guy, around 5'9", um, but graduated from the same high school. I know his family. Um, obviously, went to South Carolina, being able to be drafted by a team less than an hour away from where he grew up. And from our town, man, you know, it's, it's really hard to make it out. You know, we're from a town of about eight, 9,000 people total. Um, and he's from a, a smaller town outside of that town. And so I know it very well. I know how tough it is there. And so um, rooting for, for Shy Smith, man. I won't get emotional talking about him, but I know his story. Um, I know our story. And so rooting for Shy. Um, and then we came behind Shy, and this was probably like the biggest head scratcher, but I think it makes sense when you um, think about where we are with this position, I guess. Um, and there was a, a brief little run on this position, but we signed Thomas Fletcher, long snapper from the University of Alabama with our um, last six round pick. And I, I had to like scratch my head. I was looking at the, um, the relative athletic score, the RAS, I think that's what it, what it means, you know, for all of the picks. And I saw this guy come up and I was like, well, who is this guy? So I, picked, I looked at his RAS score and I was like, Panthers? Long snapper, what is LS? I said, long snapper? And I was like, 
they did a RAS on the long snapper? Like, why? And so, uh, anyway, I was in disbelief, man. Like, I really he, just tried to He is it. very fast for a long snapper. I'll give him I that. know. Like, I couldn't believe it. It was like, he was like, he ran like a 4.8 or something. Yeah, I think 4.9 so, uh, dead, actually. Yeah, 4.8, four, 4.9 four, dead, something like that. Yeah, something crazy, like a 4.8, 4.9. I was like, we really picked a long snapper. Uh, but I think at that point, you know, the Panthers, uh, to me, like, the draft ended at Shaw Smith, you know, and everything else was like, an early run on undrafted free agents. And so, um, you know, so Thomas Fletcher, long snapper, um, you know, for those um, JJ Jackson stands, you know, this is a little troubling for you all, you know, 44 maybe at the end of his rope. But, um, but you know, Thomas Fletcher was brought in to compete per Scott Fitterer. So we see, you know, we'll see what happens there. It felt so, um, wrong you know for him to talk about seeing JJ Jackson down in the lunchroom and how great of a guy he is and everything like that because I was like yeah but you're about to cut him or you're about to release him <laughs> so so I don't know you know JJ is a fan favorite I love JJ um but but yeah bring drafting a long snapper was a uh, was definitely a, a, a an ominous sign and then last Bill Hoskins defensive tackle out of the University of Kentucky um, you know, that's how we ended the formal draft for the Carolina Panthers. And um, before I transition from those picks, there was a an undrafted free agent that we picked up um, and David Moore, a guard, I think he played left guard for Grambling yeah. State University. I have some family ties to Grambling State. It's a historically black college um, there in Louisiana. And, um, and so he was one of the guys you know, from the HBCUs who was looked at as one of the top prospects from the HBCU candidates. Um, he showed well at the Senior Bowl, and I thought that he would get drafted. And so for the for the Panthers yeah, to be able to pick up some offensive line help um, as an undrafted free agent who should have been drafted, I thought, you know, to me was one of the best steals of the whole weekend. So, um, so and, and I'm mentioning him. We got some other guys as undrafted free agents as well. I'll let Vincent talk about some of them. But, you know, that was the draft for me. And so, Vincent, you know, we talked yeah. about J.C. Horn. Yeah. You know, one by one, can you go through these other prospects and tell Panthers fans, you know, what we should expect from these guys based on their abilities and what you've seen on film? Yeah, so start with Terrace Marshall. Um, he's very athletic, um, tall, long, fast, um, really quite quick as well in terms of, like, getting in and out of his breaks quite fast. Um I think right now he's still quite underdeveloped. Um, he didn't run the fullest route tree at LSU. Um, he ran a lot of the same routes over and over and over again, particularly in 2020. Um, has good hands. There are a few concentration drops that he needs to eradicate, but does a really good job at the catch point, tracks the ball really well, um, and shows some really nice things as a route runner. Um, he just needs to continue to develop and run a more complex route on a more consistent basis. I I think he's definitely a player who whose impact will be less in 2021 than they would hope it will be in 2022 and 2023 probably. Um, he he's probably a guy who who will take a little while to uh, to really hit his stride in the NFL. But again, he, he's 20 years old. Like you know, I think another another theme as well as trading down of this weekend was upside. Like the Panthers drafted a lot of guys who have got room to grow and get better. Um, I think obviously has a link to to uh, to Joe Brady, um, and I think that 
while it can get overblown, I think that at least is a, a strong reference for his kind of ability to learn and his coachability. Um, and right. I, I, I think he's definitely a guy who has a lot of talent. I, I think, how do I put this? It's easy when you compare prospects to people in the NFL to, to kind of either overhype them or, or, or mischaracterize them. And ultimately, no comparison is perfect. But I do think there is a, a comparison with LSU's Justin Jefferson from a year ago that does make sense. Not necessarily yeah. as players. I think Justin Jefferson was a was a better prospect. I, I'm not. That's not the case I'm making. But in the sense that they are both guys who are at their best as vertical route runners, who can use their speed and quickness to create separation down the field. Yes. And neither of them were used in that way in their final seasons at LSU. Like Justin Jefferson and Terrace Marshall were both used more as like underneath security blankets, yak guys who could who could offer like big slot options, and they were both decent in that role. Um, but I think both guys are players who whose role in the NFL and whose role in college are very different, and it's quite hard to to project quite how how well he will step into that new role. You you, you see flashes of nice route running on tape, but they are sort of flashes here and there. And I think if he can if he can build upon those and make the consistent parts of his game, he can absolutely pay this off in terms of investment. Like he can be a he can be a legitimately very good um, receiver in the NFL. Um, I just think he he could take a little while to, to really hit his stride. But again, at 20, that's not the end of the world. If he if he was 24 and looked like he does, you'd have a bit of hesitancy. But as a as a guy with a lot of talent at 20, I think he, he makes some sense here. Um, speaking of guys who are 24, um, Brady Christensen, um, who is I mean, I don't know if you saw his press conference yesterday. Yesterday, but you know, he comes across as a really nice guy, like yes. very clear, like yes. a very offensive lineman type guy. Um, yeah. But I think on tape, he he does some good things. I think he is a pretty good pass protector technically. Um, I think he he needs to improve the discipline of his pad level and his keep, keep his keep his arms up, his arms tend to drop a little bit. Um, and as a run blocker, again, pad level improvements would help. Um, but uses his feet well to create lateral leverage, locates his arms well, good arm extension, you know, technically pretty proficient player. Um, right. I do, th- I don't think he's a bad value pick at this point in the draft. Like, you know, I don't think he's a great value pick, but I think he's kind of, this is about fine. This is, you know, he is probably about the 70th best player in the draft. That's not an unreasonable kind of area for him to be picked. Um, I do, I think my hesitancy with this because I'm not totally sure where he ends up playing. Um, I don't think he has the foot speed to stay at tackle. Certainly not as left tackle. Maybe he can move. Man, hold on for a minute. Brady said he had like some of the best feet at offensive lineman. Oh, he, so. he 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 uses his feet very well technically. Right. But there are, I think, if you go and watch the Houston game in particular, there are there were a couple of times where he just couldn't keep up. He just got run around, um, right. and. I think I, obviously with BYU, there's a little bit of an issue where they didn't play the best teams in 2020. And yeah, this works against Zach Wilson and all the other BYU players, but like he did not face consistent NFL edge rushes week in, week out. Um, yeah. And the one guy he did face was Peyton Turner, who got taken in the first round by the Saints, I think. They did, yeah. That yeah. was a surprising pick. Yeah. I mean, he, Peyton Turner's a pretty good edge rusher. Um, again, quite developmental, but he. He caused him some problems, and I think oh, actually some of Houston's sort of more undersized guys caused him real issue. Like you know, if, if you stick him one on one on Brian Burns, Brian Burns is just going to run past him. Um, and, and the only way he was able to cover width wise was by sacrificing technically. So I think he 
you know, he talked about being able to play all five offensive line positions. And I think he will definitely, I think he should compete to start somewhere, but where that is, I'm not totally sure. Um, I think probably in the short term, he ends up playing at guard. Um, I think he gives you some insurance if Taylor Moten moves on. So I think that's part of the equation. Um, but I think long-term, I think he's probably a solid starter somewhere, but I'm not sure he's the left tackle solution that fans might hope for. I, I just think he, he probably has athletic limitations there. I, I'm one of the fans that hopes he can play left tackle. And, and, and I know that that's, it's, just, it's pure hope at this point. I don't know if he's a better natural left tackle than what Greg Little was, you know, coming out of the SEC and, you know, against the guys that he played against. Um, but I do think, you know, there's always potential, you know, for every pick. And, you know, he definitely at least, you know, playing against lesser competition so that he can hold up, you know. Oh, yeah. and, 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 and what somebody mentioned yesterday was that there was a lot of people watching film on Zach Wilson all year long. And what you never noticed, you know, was somebody, you know, coming around that 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 left side, you know, bearing down on on Justin Wilson. Like he kept Justin, I mean, Justin I'm sorry, Zach Wilson. He he um, he kept Zach Wilson clean, and um, and I think you know given that he did you know play well you know we, and, and a lot of the argument against Zach Wilson was that he didn't play adequate competition. Well, I think you have to you know give that to Brady Christensen too, but you know coming in you know with Pat Meyer, you know if he has good fundamentals, if he can you know the you know show that he has the play strength and you know the and the, and the technique. Or the willingness to learn technique. No, no, no. Te- te- um, technically, he's pretty, he's pretty solid. I... Yeah, he's solid. You know, so I want to. I, I hope that he can compete. You know, to be a starting left tackle for us. Um, you know, it's not like he has like great players to get through to, to be that. Um, and uh, it, it also, to me, um, is exciting because it it should put a fire under Greg Little's butt to yeah. get up to speed to earn his own position. And for um, Cam Irving, you know, who claims he wants to play tackle as well. So uh, it's going to be an interesting competition at left tackle this year. And then you throw in Trent Scott, you know, who played that position uh, quite a bit last year for the Panthers. I mean, we have four guys who could potentially play left tackle now. So to me, it's the best man wins. And, you know, good luck to Brady Christensen, man. You know, I I hope that he can earn the spot uh, because to me, you know, that would make um, the, the getting him at third even better. Yeah, I mean, I I think what I will say is this, this. I think he probably could play left tackle. I think if he does play left tackle, he'll be a left tackle you look to replace. Um, I also think, how can I put this? Um, I think if you think someone's a left tackle, you don't pass on them with a 39th pick. Um, You don't pass on them with a 59th pick either. Like, I, I think if you, particularly given that he's 24, like he's not a developmental guy, like he's he probably can improve a little bit here and there. There's some technical polish he can add, but like he's pretty much where he's going to get to. He's not going to make rap, you know, rapid strides forward. Right. Um, and I think if, if you, if, you know, he's effectively pro ready somewhere. I think if you think he's a pro ready tackle, you take him at 39. Like I, 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 I think if, if they see him as their left tackle of the future, I think they would have taken him higher than they did. Um, I, I think it's also worth noting that he is, more than a year older than Greg Little. Yes. Um, like, <laughs> yeah. 
and that's not the end of the world. Like older prospects yeah. do not have a good track record. Um, obviously, BYU has a long history of older prospects, so it's kind of yeah. a, a you know it's it's a theme there. It's not just him being a freakishly old prospect. Um, but yeah, I, I think he will probably. I think he can be a starter in the NFL. I think he probably would be best at guard. Um, okay. I'm yeah, but I'm still trying to work out where I think he actually plays. I think what he does do is he does give you some insurance if for Taylor Mosen. Um, yeah. Well, I don't think he's going to be like a number one pass protecting tackle. He is a pretty solid pass protector. He just has some athletic limitations in terms of foot speed. Um, yeah. And so I think he, he, you know, if Taylor Moten walks, I could see him shifting to right tackle, for example. Like I, okay. I, could, I could see that happening. I just don't think if you're like, well, our starting tackle combination going forward is Brady Christensen and Taylor Moten. I think in obvious passing situations, you're going to have some issues when, when, when defensive ends can really just pin their ears back and try and get after him. I think he might run out of athleticism, really, um, right. which is you know not the end of the world. Um, but again, I think uh, you know if he ends up starting at guard, I think you know, I think I think maybe the comparison I would make is if they drafted Rashawn Slater at eight, or if they traded back and taken him at twelve, or whatever. If he ends up starting at guard, there is probably a little bit where you're like that's quite high to take a guard. If Brady Christensen ends up starting at guard and plays well, that's good value with the seventieth pick. Like you know, you know, if the seventieth pick ends up being a, like a starting caliber guard that's fine. Like that's, that's a perfectly good value for that pick. So I, yeah. I, I don't think he's a bad value pick. I'm just still not totally clear where I think he ends up playing for the Panthers. Um, we'll, we'll see. Yeah. Yes, we will see. Um, it, it is one of those things where like, it, like with the Panthers defensive scheme, we'll, we'll find out what they're going for when it, when it gets on the field. Um, yeah. Tommy Tremble, I, again, so this is a pick where he is a very good blocker. Like he is the best blocking tight end in this class. I'm not going to argue yes. with that. He has some room to get even better technically. I think he plays a bit of a narrow base at times and does sometimes end up losing control, um, but uses his hands very well. Really, you know, he talked about violence. Like he blocked the guys, he blocked players off the screen multiple times when I was watching him on tape. Like he, he me, I've seen a lot of Tommy Trimble wrecking havoc as a Notre Dame fan. So I, I he, know what he does in the blocking game. Yeah, and obviously NFL defenders will be a little bit more um willing to push back on that. But like, you know, he, right. he is. He is a legitimately very good run blocker and a pretty decent pass protector, though hopefully that isn't how he's used all the time. Yeah. Um, I think the issue I have with this pick is, as a receiver, he is pretty much entirely developmental. Um, he's a pretty good athlete. Um, you know, he's got speed to stretch the field vertically, has decent quickness, um, but like did not run much of a route tree. Is really underdeveloped as a route runner. Has a few too many concentration drops on tape. Um, given how few targets he had. So I think it's one of those picks where I think he is a useful contributor right away. Like I think he replaces Chris Manhurts pretty much directly. Um, and I think he probably is at least as good, if not slightly better, a receiver than Manhurts was right away. Yeah. I just think to, to, to draft someone in the third round, he's going to have to make real strides as a pass catcher to, to justify that. Um, again, he's 20 years old. He's pretty athletic. He has, co- you know, I think this is, a, again, I mentioned already, but the Panthers clearly really trust their ability to coach players. And if you can coach him to be a better route runner, then he absolutely could be a pretty good number one tight end or a really good number two tight end. And yeah. that's not that bad value in the third round. That's pretty decent. Um, I think the issue will be is if he doesn't, you know, they talked about wanting to improve Chris Manhurst as a route runner last year, and that didn't really ever end up happening. And I think if, if looking back in a couple of years' time, he's still the great run blocker, who is basically just a dump-off option in the passing game, I think then it'll be looked back and you're like, 
not a bad player, a little bit of a reach. Like I think he he has to get towards the upper tier of his range of outcomes for this to look like a good pick. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's interesting because you know, obviously watching, you know, Notre Dame play a lot. Um, he was used more as an H back than a pure yeah. tight end. Um, the the pure tight end at Notre Dame was um, Michael Meyer, um, a mayor, you know, who you know I think came in and really surprised them in in terms of his ability to to run the routes and and and, and have you know he had great hands and I think uh, Tommy Tremble probably could have been the the number one tight end there until you know that guy came in and said Nah this is my position. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so maybe we didn't get to see him, you know, put his, you know, his, his tight end skills on display more at Notre Dame. Like you say, you know, you know there were drops and I have to acknowledge those. And um, but I do think if he can, you know, get better, you know, with his hands, um, get better with his route running um, and ultimately, you know, Joe Brady being able to, you know, to, you know, not just Joe Brady, but the, you know, tight ends coach. You know, them working together to be able to find out, you know, like what he does best and be able to like work those things within, you know, the offensive play designs and, and, and the overall scheme. I think he has the upside to 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 be, you know, the, the number one tight end for the Panthers. You know, the, the best thing about that situation is that, you know, there's no clear number one right now. Even Dan Arnold, um, who is primarily a, a pass catcher, a move tight end, um, you know, is on paper probably is that guy. But I think you know, in terms of being able to to be in on every down, uh, Tommy Trumbull, you know, definitely has the, the ability, you know, to to be that guy. So I'm uh, obviously I'm rooting for him. Uh, I root for all my Irish guys, but you know, now he's a Panther, so I have to, you know, want him to just be the best Panther he can be at the position he plays. And so um, it's it's on him and it's on them. You know, they drafted him in the third round. You know, could have been quite, you know a bit of a reach, you know, for Tommy Trumbull. In particular, you know, but if you reach for him in the third round, then to me that tells me that you you have to have some type of vision for how you want to use him. So yeah, you know, let's I, see. I, I think I think it's partly about usage, but it's also about development. Like you know, you, yeah. you've got to make him better, and not that he's better, but you've got to round out his game. Like he just wasn't used in certain ways at, at, at um, Notre Dame. Like it's you know the fact he didn't run the full route tree isn't his fault. Um, right. But he needs to run a full route tree. He needs to be more subtle in his route running. You know, these are things that they need to coach with time. Um, and, you know, the Panthers are in this weird position where, like, if if Tommy Tremble was as good as Dan Arnold in the passing game, or if Dan Arnold was as good as Tommy Tremble in, as a blocker, you'd have one yeah. really good tight end. But currently right. you have two pretty good tight ends who have almost zero overlap in terms of skill set. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, I... I you can potentially use them very situationally, but I think the hope would be that Dan Arnold gets better as a blocker and that Tommy Tremble gets better as a route runner and you end up yeah. with two useful tight ends. Um, yeah. yeah, okay. So I, I think... He, do you see us running any, you know, before we, like, do you see us running any, um, or I shouldn't say, do you see us doing this, but how often did we run in like two tight end sets last year? Quite a lot. Like, Okay. They, they ran like three tight end sets a fair amount last year as well. So like they, they whether that's what they'll do next year, I don't know, but they did they used tight ends a lot last year. Um okay. Okay, so Trooper Harvard. Um yeah, this is I think the most confusing pick for me. Um <laughs> again, pretty good player. I don't mind the value in the like late fourth round. Um I think he 
He needs to contribute more on the passing game, but is just pretty good vision, pretty quick, fairly elusive. Certainly fits the the style they have. You know, he is he is quite similar to like a McCaffrey and a Bonifon. Like he is another guy in that mold. Hold up uh, for a minute, Vince. Hold up for a minute. Let me ask you a question before you continue. I'm sorry. No, it's fine. I know that that you answered. No, that you asked this question at the at the press conference yesterday. Mm-hmm. Wasn't it? Wasn't it you that asked about? You know. Um, their vision for Chuba in yeah, the like, offense. Yeah, yeah, basically, like, what, what does he do that you don't already have? Um, <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and worryingly, the response was just more of it. And it was like, okay, yeah. I, I, again, I don't think he's a bad value pick. If another team had taken him in the fourth round, I wouldn't think, like, that's a massive reach. I just... They clearly want to have depth at running back. Um, and I think he, you know, he's probably at this point... I think as a receiver, he needs to get a bit better. And as a blocker, he definitely needs to get better. But like, you know, you know, he he does offer them some value. He's pretty good straight line speed, pretty good quickness, pretty good vision. Um, it is a logical backup to McCaffrey. I'm just, I'm not sure how how much he moves the needle. Um, like, I, I don't, I, you know, I'm not sure how much better they are with him on the field versus Reggie Bonifor, or if they even are better with him on the field versus Reggie Bonifor. And, and that's not a hit. Reggie Bonifor is a pretty good running back. I'm just, I, yeah. I, I quite like the player. I'm not sure about the need, basically. Um, yeah, I think, I think what Matt Rule mentioned, and I'm, I'm thinking it must have been in response to, to your particular question about him, you know, was that I think now it's more about risk management. You know, we went into last year yeah. thinking that Reggie Bonifant could have been, you know, the running back number two, um, along with Mike Davis, um, you know, you know, being two and three or whatever, you know. But after Christian went down, you know, then it was Mike Davis. Well, it was Reggie Bonifant getting some runs, and then he, like, got hurt, yeah. like, with his first opportunity. And so, like, everything fell on Mike Davis. And that was fine when Mike Davis was, was fine, you know. But, you know, as the season wore on, Mike Davis started coming up with, like, you know, some, um, you know, some injuries, you know, during games and missing some time. Yeah. And, and so then you get left with Rodney Smith and Trenton Scott, uh, Trenton Cannon, or Trenton, Trenton Scott, yeah. Trenton Cannon. And so now you have Rodney Smith and Trenton Cannon. And now, you know, you're trying to win games down the stretch with Rodney Smith and Trenton Cannon. And so I think for Matt Rule, it was like, OK, you know, we can't go into the season with Chris McCaffrey, who could potentially get hurt again, and as much as people don't want to hear that. Um, Rodney Smith and, and Reggie Bonifine. You know, we have to get another guy, you know, and, uh, and so I'm hoping that Chuba can be another guy who can be, you know, like a Mike Davis fit. I, I don't necessarily disagree with that. I think that just feels like a luxury given the other needs they have. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, sensibly, I mean, I, I made this point before, but like, if Christian McCaffrey gets hurt, this team is not making the playoffs unless they get very lucky. Like, you know, you know, Christian McCaffrey is a central part of their offense in the same way that if other teams lost their quarterback or their star receiver, they're probably not making the playoffs. Um, I, I think what it gives you some flexibility if Christian misses like a week or two. Um, but I think, I think it, it feels like a bit of an overreaction to the injury problems they had at running back last year. I think, you know, the injury problems they had at running back last year, if they become a pattern, you've got a real problem. Um, but I don't think if they become a pattern, this solves that problem. Um, right. Like, you know, if, if McCaffrey gets hurt again and misses the whole of next season, hopefully he doesn't, obviously. But but if he does, I don't think Chuba Hubbard then just, like, replaces him and everything's fine. 
I think you're still like, okay, we're still missing the best running back in football. Um, so I, I don't hate the value. I just, I, I, I'm still not totally sure. Well, we'll see in the same way that Mike Davis's role, it's still not clear how Joe Brady is actually going to use all the weapons he has. Um, I just think there is a chance we look back in a year's time and go like, oh, Chuba Hubbard, he had like 35 carries for you know 180 yards or something. It's like, that's perfectly fine, but that's quite a lot. Of, you know, fourth round pick seems quite high to take someone for, for you know, back, yeah. because anybody on the roster could have given you that. Yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, um, Reggie Bonifon was healthy for the whole of the 2019 season and had 16 carries as the backup running back. I know. I know. I'm like, just hoping that Joe Brady is different from North Turner and Scott Turner in that way. You know, is is that we saw last year early on they really had a plan to use Kristen a lot. You know, um, you know, as they showed in in the first two weeks of the season, um, after having to adjust to using another running back, I think they, you know, somewhat learned their lesson. So when we saw Kristen again versus Kansas City, you know, they seemed like they had a better plan, you know, for um, using a, um, a committee at running back. But as the game got tight later on, then they leaned on Christian very happily again, and he ended up being hurt. Yeah. Um, and so now that you have Chuba Hubbard, and, and based on what Matt Rue was saying yesterday, like how much they liked Chuba and his ability, you know, the fact that Chuba went off on him while he was coaching at Baylor, his wife, you know, was pounding yeah. the table for him. I know that was kind of weird, but um, but I just think that if you really believe that this guy Chuba Hubbard really brings all of the things that you mentioned that he brings, you know, explosiveness and the ability to, you know, to do this and that, catch the ball out of the backfield, don't draft him in the fourth round and not use him. Yeah, like, no, figure out a way to use him and Kristen McCaffrey no, like have him in the backfield and, and have Christian McCaffrey in the slot. You know, like no, I, I, I think this this is where my my concern really comes in. Is like last year, okay, Mike Davis got used a lot because McCaffrey got hurt. But before McCaffrey got hurt, Mike Davis was just not getting the ball at all. And it's like, and this is the concept we had last, you know, as Panthers fans had last year, where it was like, you know, would Mike Davis get cut? Can you justify salary? And it's like ultimately, his salary is fine if you're using him but you don't yeah. pay a guy three and a half million dollars a year to sit on the bench as a running back. Like, you know, right. and it's going to be the same with Chuba Hubbard. Like if you, if, if he gets four or five carries a game, if, you know, if he ends the season with 80 touches and say, uh, I don't know, 300 yards rushing and a hundred yards receiving, like for a fourth round pick. Yeah. Okay, fine. It's a little bit of a luxury, but fine. But if he ends the season with all 10 carries for, for 41 yards, and one catch for seven yards. It's going to be, you know, I think they expect him to be really good on special teams. I think he will probably be a good special teams player. You know, he, he contrary in other ways, but given the devaluation of the running back position, it's really hard to carry running backs who aren't contributing. Yeah. Um, and and spending fourth round picks on running backs, like you ha- you have to contribute if you're a fourth round pick running back in this, in the way that you maybe wouldn't have to if you're another position. Well, you if know, the you, crazy know, part is I saw like. We saw like San Francisco like draft two running backs in this draft. Yeah, and you know, you know, I think it's okay to do it if you are a team that's committed to using multiple running backs, like you know, and giving them like a good share of the work. Um, we know that San Francisco does that. You know, they they can feature three running backs in any given game. Yeah, you know, and and they all have like they they can run, they can give three running backs 
10 carries a piece. Mm-hmm. And we've seen them do that. They run a scheme that, you know, that that is really set up to do that. Um, if the Panthers were that, then Shuba Hubbard makes a lot of sense. Um, I, I'm just interested to see if they can evolve to a place where they can use Kristen McCaffrey as really, you know, people don't you know, think about this enough. Chris McCaffrey is still the centerpiece of this team. Yeah. He is the face of the franchise. And you have to keep the face of the franchise and the centerpiece of the team on the field to even justify him being that. Um, just like in Tennessee, Derrick Henry has to be on the field. Yeah. Kristen McCaffrey has to be on the field in Carolina. You don't have to have him in the backfield running, you know, like, you know, carrying the ball um, in a traditional sense, but you need to have him on the field. So now that you've brought in Chuba Hubbard, show us that you can use Kristen McCaffrey in all of the ways that you told us you can use him to justify making him the highest paid running back in football. Yeah, I, I think that this... And use Chuba Hubbard with him. This year, you know, last year, the Panthers' offense got a little bit unlucky, and then McCaffrey got hurt, and Curtis Samuel missed a few games, and and you know, it, it, it kind of the offense wasn't what it was meant to be going into the season. I think this year, having basically brought everybody back but Curtis Samuel and Mike Davis, um, adding Dan Arnold, adding um, uh, Ter- um, Terrace Marshall, adding um, Tremble, adding Christensen, adding Hubbard. I mean. Joe Brady doesn't have many excuses for this offense not to be good this year. I mean, you know, obviously, yeah. if Sam Donald completely, you know, falls flat on his face, um, that's different. But in that case, you've got a different problem. Um, yeah. But but this offense has to look good this year. It can't look like it looked last year, I don't think. And Joe Brady right. keep his job. Um, right. Yeah. Should we talk about the fifth round picks? Yes, you know, you yeah. keep on, you know, keep on, and, and, and especially this first one. Yeah, I mean, so yeah, Davion Nixon. Um, I think for me, this is my favorite of the picks. Um, he's not perfect. He still needs work. He needs to improve his pad level, certainly the consistency of his pad level. Um, and there's sort of further technical refinement to come. Um, but but he's right up there as one of the best defensive tackles in this draft class. Um, probably not in that very top tier, but probably that second tier. Um, yeah. and, and to get that in the fifth round is excellent value. Um yeah, he, 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 you know, he does need work. He probably won't be, similar to someone like Terrace Marshall, he probably won't be the best version of himself year one, and he could take yeah. some time to kind of continue to develop. But, you know, if you trust yourself to develop players, he has, shows a lot of nice things on tape. You know, he's very quick, he's powerful, really good athlete, and does show some good things technically. He just needs, you know, further refinement and further development. And as a guy who who spent, you know, he was a former Juco guy who then went to Iowa for a couple of years. You know, he, he, he there is reason to expect that he can continue to get better. Um, and I think certainly value-wise, he's a really good pick in the fifth round. Um, no, I mean, obviously, you know, he's the guy I was pounding the table for. You know, I, I knew he wouldn't be our first or second round pick, but when we got to the third round and we started, you know, um, you know, looking at the, you know, the, the multiple picks we were picking up, you know, through the trades, I was like, please get me Davion Nixon. And I would just be totally elated, you know, thinking that he could be a, a third round pick. I, I thought that's where he would go around that, you know, around that point. So, you know, when we think we traded out of our last pick and, and you know, that move to, you know, to um, day three, you know, um, I was really hoping that Davion would be um, the first pick, you know, the fourth round. And I would have mm-hmm. been happy with that. Yeah, no, I would as well. So, so to be able to pick up Truba, 
and then come back and get Davion Nixon, you know, at the head of the fifth round, I was like, oh my God, like, I can't believe this actually happened, you know, like, because I, I really thought he would be picked up before then. So, um, you know, one of my um, favorite stories, you know, you know, all the, the things that we discussed when we talked about defensive tackles, it, it still rings true. You know, I think he is an ideal, you know, fit, you know, to replace like a KK short in terms of um, his ability to produce. I don't think he has like that same upside that KK had when KK was at his best by, by no means, but I think, you know, he feels a three tech need. I think, um, yeah. I think he has maybe that upside. I just don't think he's as polished as KK was coming out as a prospect. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess that was, you know, and I, and I think KK's, you know, that, you know, as polished as KK was, I think KK was able to put all that together and turn those into some all pro seasons. Yeah. No. Um, you know, it would surprise me to see Davion Nixon turn into like that same caliber of all pro where he's getting those sack numbers. Yeah. But I think he definitely can be disruptive and I think he can make an impact. You know, I don't think it would be immediate. I mean, I don't think fans should look for him to, to come out in his rookie season and be like some defensive rookie of the year. No. But I think, you know, if you give him time to develop, you know, behind some of the, the defensive tackles we have, you know, we have on the team now, rotate him in situationally, give him some run, you know, let him get uh, uh, accustomed to the, the speed and the size of the players he's facing on the offensive lines and the schemes he's going to see. And then, you know, maybe in year two or three, you know, you can, you know, definitely, you know, have a gem in Davion Nixon. And then yeah. when you look back and see that you got him in the fifth round, man, you know, like, that's that's what I'm excited for. So um, I just wanted to take that time because, you know, he was a guy, you know, that I've been high on. So to me, again, like you, I think he was the steal of the of the actual draft picks. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I don't think there, there are the fifth round pick I actually quite like as well, Keith Taylor. Um, I think he's a little raw. I think he, he could do with adding some strength, um, right. functional strength. And I think he needs some some polish. But I think he, he can be a solid starting cornerback. Um, obviously, JC Horn is there, like CB1 moving forwards. I think they will probably, if Dante Jackson can stay healthy, I think you probably look for Dante to be the other primary starter. But I think Keith Taylor can be the guy. Obviously, you've got AJ Bouye for the next year, maybe the next two years. But, but I think Keith Taylor could be the guy who comes in and and is kind of like that third or fourth cornerback. And, you know, he's got really good length, moves well for his size, good physicality. Um, d- doesn't have that kind of much upside in zone, just you know, doesn't have any interceptions in college, does lack a bit of ball production and seems to be a bit hesitant in, in terms of breaking on the ball in zone. Um, but I think can be a, a solid like rotation cornerback. Um, and in the fifth round, that's good value. I, I, I think it really does not say um, great things about the likes of Troy Pride and Stan Thomas Oliver. Um, I think they are, I think at most one of those guys makes the roster now. Yeah. Um, if you're looking, you know, Keith Taylor, Dante Jackson, um, uh, JC Horn, and, and AJ Bouye are probably your top four cornerbacks, or at yeah. least even even if Keith Taylor isn't your top four cornerback now, he's certainly a guy who you think can be a top three or four cornerback in a year or so. Um, right. So you probably are not going to cut him. And then it's kind of certainly, you know, you're looking at Troy Price, Dan Tom, sort of a Tony Fizzy, Miles Hartsfield, or sort of a nickel still, or if they think he can play some safety as well. But, you know, those guys are going to be competing and, and this team wants to add competition. And I think that this pick does do that. Um, yeah. I mean, one thing that we have to know too, you know, like I'm a, I'm a Troy Pride guy, you know, he's, you know, again, an uh, upstate South Carolina guy, went to Notre Dame. Um, he was just the fourth round pick last year. And, and although it seems like, you know, when you get a guy in the fourth round, you know, that 
you know, that he should stick on the roster for at least four years. But the reality is he may not, you know. And so if, if this guy comes in, you know, Keith Taylor shows that, you know, he can actually play the position, you know, as well as um, as Troy Pride or um, Stanley, Stanley Thomas, uh, can't give it Stanley Thomas, Thomas Oliver. If he can play the position as well as those guys, you know, or better, you know, then one of those guys, you know, may be on the way out. So, uh, you know, yeah. we'll see, you know, we'll see, you know, if he can do that. And I think that's definitely, it's, it's, again, it's another theme from the Seattle days, uh, you know, Scott Fitzroy, that the, they, they drafted a lot of DBs on day three and they churned through them. And the guys who, who worked out stuck, you know, Richard Sherman obviously being the most notable, but, but they drafted others or day three corners who ended up playing on the roster. But, but they cut a lot of guys. They, they cut a lot of DBs yeah. either as rookies or after one season. Yeah. And, and even guys who were like fourth, fifth round picks got churned out right. really quickly. Right. And I think, I think it, you know, if Troy Pride and Stan Thomas Oliver look really good, I think Keith Taylor could get cut. But in the yeah. same way, I think if Keith Taylor and Stan Thomas Oliver look good, they'll cut Troy Pride and not worry about it. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, yeah. And, and in that way, you know, it's Matt Rule's thing about competition. And you know, you need to make sure that you're not just burning picks to not get any better. Um, yeah. But but you know, a fifth round pick, I, I think he's good value there. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I think it's a, 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 a solid pick with with pretty good upside as well, even if he doesn't have like a lead starter potential. Um, you know who he reminds me of? You know when I watched, you know his his cutups from the Senior Bowl. There was a, um, a good Weatherspoon. video of him. Who was that? A killer Weatherspoon. Yeah, it, a killer Weatherspoon. He looks like, like he, he plays like him to me. It, yeah, I, mean, I, I don't think he's quite as lanky as Witherspoon. I mean, Witherspoon is like like almost six four. I think he has like six two. Um, yeah, you know, he's he, six two, six three. Some people say he's six four. I don't know what his uh, yeah, actual height is though. I, I think he's. I think he measures about six two and a bit. Um, and he's about okay. one eighty five. So you know, yeah. he could add to it. He could do with adding some strength and some weight. Not right. too much, but just a little bit. Like he does. He does lack a bit of punch at times in in press. Um, yeah. But he moves well for that length. He's not. Yeah, I mean, the Pac twelve has churned out quite a lot of long corners over over recent years. Um, yeah. And I I think he's. Maybe not the most spectacular. I think the ball skills bit is a is a concern. But you know, James Bradbury was not very good at catching the ball when he was a pretty good corner. You know, I don't yeah. think Taylor is as good as Bradbury. I think he he lacks the physicality that Bradbury really excelled at. Um, but you know, seems like a smart guy, moves pretty well for his size, could be a very useful piece, even if he's not going to be picking off passes left, right, and center, unless he makes yeah. drastic changes to his game. Yeah, I mean, even in the in the in the senior in the senior bowl week, you know, and the, the practices I saw, I was like, man, you know, like he really, he gets his head around, he gets his hands up, you know, but he doesn't look like he's even attempted to try to catch the ball. Like, it's like, he's playing volleyball, you know, like he's just, you know, he's just swiping at it, you know, swatting at it, you know, he's, he's not really trying to catch it. So if he can develop into, you know, somewhat of a, of a, of a, a catcher of the football, I think he has like even more upside right now. You know, he's just yeah. I, I'm he's, he's I'm to hit it. I'm I'm not super optimistic of your ability to coach those things. I mean, there is also a mindset thing. Like particularly if you're playing in man, you're playing man coverage to prevent receptions. Yeah. You know, it, a pass deflection is a good result in man coverage. Obviously, yeah, if right. the ball's thrown to you and you've got a chance to catch it, you want to catch it. But yeah. but knocking the ball away is the priority. Right. Whereas in zone there are going to be chances to make interceptions and you've really got to make those interceptions. Yeah, you've got um, to catch the ball. 
And like James Bradbury did not look like he caught, you know, I remember watching Bradbury um, as a rookie and it was like, he doesn't catch the ball very well. Um, yeah. and, and then you watch him now and it's like, he still doesn't catch the ball very well. Like, you, you know, you, you, he's maybe got a little bit better and there are sort of, like, occasionally you, you see him make a play like, oh, maybe he's, maybe he's worked it out. But ultimately, you know, Ted Ginn never learned how to catch very well. And, um, you know, you, know you, you some things you can coach and some things you can't. Like, I, I think right. catching is quite a hard thing to coach someone to do at 24, 25, even 22, 21. You know, it, it's, you learn to catch mostly when you're about four or five years old. So, right. yeah, so it, it's, it's, it's a hard thing to then install in someone sort of, no, you, you're right. And I mean, he doesn't look like somebody who ever learned how to catch. And so, um, you know, but, you know, he can do everything else. He can run. He's long. He knows how it seems like he knows how to use his limp. Um, and he may even begin better at, you know, at technique, you know, can, and improving that way. But, yeah, I think he's a guy that, you know, is always going to get hit in the face mask with football. I think some of it is also mindset as well. Like, there are definitely times in zone where it's like, you see him and he opts to take away the reception rather than diving on the ball. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, like the, the, I think the Panthers will also want to coach him to be more aggressive hunting for the ball in zone in particular. Yeah. So uh, didn't wrong, like I also went out that like catching a football thrown at you by an NFL quarterback is very different from like catching one with your friends in the back garden. Right, um, right. Like scales of catching start pretty high for, for professional athletes. It, it yeah. you know, if you or me went out there and tried catching passes, I'm sure we'd look absolutely terrible. So, hey man, like honestly, like no lie, I actually have some really good hands, man. I'm a son of a brick mason, and so um, I'm not very fast. I'm not. I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm not one to you know to kind of brag on my athletic ability because at this age, they all have declined. But I am the son of a brick mason. I've been on a lot of scaffolds catching bricks, and um, and so you know, one of the things that coaches wanted me to do coming up was was be a, a pass catcher but I didn't have the speed and so uh, but I could catch anything so yeah I mean so you gotta speak for yourself in that no no I, I, <laughs> I, not to offend your athletic abilities in the slightest I just I, I think there was possibly a slight difference between the passes you would have been thrown in high school and yeah, NFL right. quarterback slinging it at you you're right. 30, I mean, 30 yards down a field where you've been sprinting for 30 seconds and you're trying to work out where you are. And the, the problem would be in the sprinting down the field and you still having oxygen left after the sprint, you know, and, yeah. and being able to concentrate on catching the ball. So, yeah, you know, I, I think that would be a challenge. I'm good over the shoulder and I, I can make, you know, the one hand grabs and stuff like that. I just can't I can't run like I need to. So, yeah, yeah, that's that's my problem. But I'm trying to teach my boy. My son, you know, is, is a football player and he's a wide receiver. So I'm trying to, he's faster than I ever was, which is great, you know, and uh, and he has good hands. I don't think his hands are, are as good as mine was at his age, but he's fast and he can, you know, and, and, and I think he'll be able to, to be a lot better than me. So all the things I couldn't do, I'm trying to pour into him. And so that's the beauty of having a boy. So, um, so yeah, that's that. <laughs> yes. Okay. But, but yeah, okay. <laughs> Keith, Keith Taylor probably isn't going to have many five interception seasons. I think is the uh, is, is is the concluding point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, and, and some people ask, you know, before we move on from Keith, and then we can get on with it. I think someone asked if he has the ability to be a safety. Um, I don't think so, but you know, I mean, but Matt, what's I, your take? I don't understand where that idea would come from. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, Matt Rule was pretty emphatic in the press conference about no, he's a cornerback, um, right, right. and I. I don't see what you see from them and think 
Yeah, safety. Like, I think as a safety, you want someone with ball skills who has the ability to anticipate and like all the things he does well as a quarterback are things that don't make that much impact at safety and all the things that cornerbacks do well that then translate to safety and not parts of the game he does well. Like he is, yeah. he is possibly the least likely cornerback I can think of to convert to safety. The only reason you convert him is because he's tall. Like that, that's like his tall is his, his, sorry, not his tall, Jesus. His height and his length are the only yeah. sort of traits he has that are safety-like. His, inter- his tape is the least safety-like tape you could get from a cornerback, really. Yeah. And what I tried to, t- what I mentioned to someone was, you know, the person that's the same height, you know, as as he is, or at least similar in height as he is, is you know, that's on the roster who actually plays safety, is a guy like Kenny Robinson. You know, so you don't have to make a guy like this a safety just because you see the, you know, like the the metrics yeah. of him. You I, know, I, like you got guys on the roster who can actually be that, you know, if they can develop you know, their game to be a better safety. I mean, the, the cornerbacks you want to make safeties are guys like Kerry Vincent Jr., um, yeah. who the Broncos drafted. Um, so they did get him. I didn't see where he went. Yeah, the, Bron- was, the Broncos got him. But, you know, he, you know, it didn't wrong. I think there is some development there, and he's definitely a guy, again, you need to trust the coachability of. But, like, footwork-wise and movement skills-wise has some, like, ceiling limitations, but has great speed and quickness, ball skills, and anticipates. And, like, you yeah. know, that's not everything you need to play safety, but those are the skills at cornerback that translate really well to safety. Yeah. What doesn't translate is like press man coverage. Um, right. Like, and that's what Keith Taylor does well. That's so, what he does well. So, so we, so, I mean, honestly, we, we came away with two really good uh, press man coverage prospects and JC Horn and, and Keith yeah, Taylor. I, I think Different he, levels of talent, but you know. Yeah. And I think Taylor is, Taylor is a little bit more flexible. Like he also has, quite a lot of experience playing cover three. And I think he's probably going to be quite a decent cover three corner, even if he doesn't have the ball skills to generate that many picks. Um, okay. So I think he's probably not going to be like a, a cover two read and react underneath corner, but yeah. he is like a, a man slash cover three, which is kind of what I think they'll probably go for quite a lot. Probably play quite a lot of cover three, quite a lot of man. I think. And you know, honestly, South Carolina, South Carolina played a lot of cover three. You know, people aren't noting that, but I, did, I read an article on you know both South Carolina corners you know last last year, and you know one thing that was mentioned in the article and it, it was more of a situation for Israel. I can't pronounce his last name. McCormick. But the other corner, yeah, South yeah. Carolina. Yeah, no, he 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 made notable plays in cover three. Um, JC yeah. Horn. The reason why you're drafting JC Horn is because we did a man coverage, and they did yes. they they manned him up a lot. Even when they played zone, they would man him up inside of zones. Up. Yeah, um, which makes tons of sense. So. Like you know, I I think you draft like Mukuamu was was going to get drafted Mukuamu. for his for, yeah, for his you know he's he's a he's a zone only corner really whereas yeah. Horn is a man corner who can play some zone so but no I think well, I think so Keith, Keith, so Keith Taylor is a lot like Mukuamu yeah he doesn't have the ball skills but I I think Weatherspoon is actually a pretty good comp um, I don't think yeah. he has the ball skills of Weatherspoon but yeah. I think he possibly is slightly more I think he's yeah probably Weatherspoon is a decent comp um, okay. Who was the next pick? Deontay Brown? Oh, it's Deontay yeah. Brown, yes. Um, yeah. He is a very large man. Um, Huge. He is technically very good. Um, yes. And it was really interesting. To, when he spoke to the media after he was selected, he said basically like he, his pass protection, it's like, you know, you trust your feet to put you where you need to be. And then the technique does the work. And that is absolutely the, the perfect mentality to have as an offensive lineman. Like you trust right. your footwork to, to keep you in position. And then your technique does the work. Yeah. Um, 
Do you think that offsets is athletic? Yeah, see, that's that's the thing. The caveat is the foot speed keeping you in position bit. Um, yeah. I think that will, for him will be the question because if he keeps if his feet can keep him in position, he absolutely you know he he doesn't make te- you know he's technically excellent. He played Derek Brown better than anybody in 2019. Like his his tape against Derek Brown is fantastic. You know, Derek yeah. Brown is not a guy who's going to push you for quickness, but he's going to yeah. push you for power and technique. And Deontay Brown does not lack for power or technique. Yeah. I think the for him the question will be is one what weight does he actually end up playing at because I I don't think you can play him at three hundred and fifty pounds like I I just I think he needs to lose at least fifteen maybe twenty pounds um, he just looks heavy in his movements like he, he yeah. looks too he looks like he's playing too heavy he looks um, his size I mean, yeah. he plays like his size he, yeah he, he yeah and I I think he got I don't think he was as heavy in twenty nineteen all the time I yeah. I think he. I think he added weight this year, and I don't think that benefited him. And they didn't um, want him to add weight. No, I don't. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think I think he will be going on a diet. Um, I just the question <laughs> is like, what weight do they want him to end up at? Yeah. I think in an ideal world, he'd end up at somewhere like around three twenty. Um, yeah. I think in the short term, they'd really want him to be under three thirty five. Um, yeah. We'll find out. Um, but yeah, if he can get his weight down. And he's, I think he's one of those things where, like, when you evaluate players, there are certain things that have to meet certain thresholds. I mean, I remember the Colts GMs talked a lot about this. Um, but, like, you know, players have to be so fast and so strong and so agile and so quick to play certain positions. Yeah. And then once they reach those thresholds, it then starts to become less of an issue. Like, once you become fast enough to play corner, while being faster is better, it's not like, Exponent, he doesn't get exponentially better. There's kind of this cutoff that you have to get past as a, as a starting point. And and with Deontay Brown, he he's right on the edge of that for lateral agility. If he if he can cut down his weight and and show that he can get past that threshold, I think he can be a good, really good starting guard. Like he's more in the John Miller mold than the Chris Reed mold. Like you know, yeah, he's you know he is a big, powerful guy. At the end of the day, he's never going to be playing at you know three hundred pounds, um, but he is right on the limit of that sort of agility threshold. So let me ask you a question about it. You know, he's a six round pick. Yeah. Obviously he was a very popular uh, prospect, you know, and largely based on his size and what people saw him do at Bama. In yeah. that offense. Do you think he has a shot at coming in and usurping um, John Miller on the right side at right guard? I think it's unlike, I mean, I think if they thought he was going to start, they'd have drafted him early in the sixth round. I mean, I, I think for him, it will be for him and David Moore, who we'll talk about in a bit. But like, step one is make the roster. Yeah. Step two is probably compete to start down the road. I mean, I, I think I would imagine drafting someone like Brown in the sixth round. The first question is see what weight he gets to in camp. I think if yeah. he comes into camp at 340 pounds, Certainly, if he's more than 340 pounds, I think he's going to find it really hard to make the roster. To make the team. Um, yeah. Some of that is because I think they would think that that shows a lack of effort. Um, you know, I'm not yeah. saying that would show a lack of effort, but um, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if you draft, I, mean, I don't know what weight he is today, but I think he's listed around sort of 345 ish um, yeah. right now. If you know, he needs to start losing weight fairly soon, um, I would say. And I think if he, you know, he can't play in the NFL at 345 pounds. Um, so I think for him, if he comes into camp looking like he's cut down and he's sort of really in good shape, 
Um, I think he has a, a really good chance to make the roster. Um, I think he'd have to he'd have to play really well and really put the 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 doubts to bed about his lateral agility. Like ultimately, he's a very polished player, barring this one thing. So if he does really well in that one thing, then he could definitely start. Like I don't think it's beyond the realms of possibility. Whereas like David Moore, I think I'd be amazed if he started. Um, right. But but yeah, no, I think he he's. I think for for Jonathan Brown, it's going to be a question of getting in a in a better physical position. Um, okay. Yeah, the days of NFL guards playing at three hundred and fifty pounds have have gone. Because yeah. while while one week you might be matched up against Derek Brown, and that's fine, the next week you could be matched up against um, you know Morgan Fox, and yeah, that that doesn't work. Like Morgan yeah. Fox will just run around him. Um, yeah. And 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 that's something that needs to change. Um, who was the next pick? Shai Smith. Um, yeah, I I don't have particularly strong feelings either way on this. I think there's I think value wise, it's a perfectly good pick. I think sixth round, he's probably no. I, I thought he probably would go a bit higher than this. Um, good after the catch, good hands, pretty good athlete. Um, lots of things to like, but his route running is quite poor. And that's really what's going to, you know, make him succeed or fail at the, at the next level. Um, he's probably going to be slot only at a thought. Um, we'll need to play on special teams. And, and you did him wrong. Again, if he can improve as a route runner, then he can be a good player. If he can't, yeah. it's going to be hard for him to see the field. And I think, I think that's the thing. Like with, with these laser round picks of the Panthers, there, it's kind of like, if he can do this, then that. Like, you know, Davion Nixon yeah. has real potential, but needs to improve some things. Keith Taylor has pretty good potential, needs to improve some things. Deontay Brown, really good potential, needs to improve some things. Um, you know, Shai Smith, pretty good potential, needs to improve some things. And it, it, it's it's going to be a real challenge for this coaching stuff. Like, if none of those guys make the improvements they need to make, that's going to be a, a pretty, one, a, a combination of a bad assessment of their ability to, to, to assess their ability to coach those things, but also yeah. a, a, a bad assessment on their ability to coach those things. To develop, uh, yeah. Yeah. If they yeah. all make those strides, great, like fantastic, wonderful, yeah. like draft of the generation type thing. Right. Um, and I think I think the odds are that some of them will and some of them won't. Who doesn't? Who yeah. doesn't? It's very hard to say. Yeah. Um, but I think you know they clearly back themselves as a development team. They just now need to go and prove it. Um, I think right. last, I mean, they backed themselves last year as well, and I think they got something of a, a mixed bag of results. I mean, Jeremy Chin clearly took real strides. Yeah. Um, Derek Brown made some improvements. He got better. Um, Gross Matos made some improvements. He got better. Neither guy like set the world on fire. You know, neither guy sort of like made all the improvements they need to make. And then neither, yeah. you know, Jeremy Chin is not the finished article either, but all three guys did get better. Troy Pride, I'm not sure, did make many improvements. Um, he didn't. Honestly, he didn't. I mean, um, Bravery on Roy, I'm not sure how much better he got. Um, uh, Kenny Robinson didn't really play, so it's hard to tell. Um, yeah. Stan Thomas Oliver was so raw that it was never going to be a one-year project, so that's, again, hard to tell. Right. They just uh, put him in the game, and he just didn't mess up much, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, no. But, like, you know, he, he was playing receiver two years ago. You can't expect him to be, right. like, an NFL corner right now. Um, right. So, yeah, and UDFA, some of them looked good, some of them didn't. You know, it, it's, you know, I think it's somewhat of an incomplete grade from year one. I think having taken a similar approach in this year's draft, they're going to need to move it from an incomplete to a good. Um, mm -hmm. you know, because it's not just these day three guys like Tremble, um, Marshall, 
Christian and Lester, but like the, the, the guys that took on day two were developmental as well. Like they've taken a lot of developmental guys over the last two years. They now need yeah. to show they can develop them because if they can't, right. that, that's not really going to help you very much. Like you can't keep taking developmental guys and then not developing them. I mean, the worst thing that could possibly happen from this draft, you know, as excited as we all are about it, is what you mentioned, you know, is the fact that there are so many developmental prospects in it, you know, that if you end up with 11 picks and only come away with one starter from that, you know, in the next two or three years. I think you probably get two. I think you probably get one good starter, one decent starter. Like, I think Christensen probably starts somewhere. Yeah. Um, but he's also going to be 25, like three weeks into the season, um, yeah. which is fine. It's just not a problem because, you know, ultimately yeah. you don't draft a guy based on what he's going to be in 10 years time. Um, yeah. But, you know, should be, it should be a long-term starter. You would hope Horn could be a really good player, he, you know, has some room for growth, but should be a really good player without it. But, yeah. you know, if Marshall doesn't get any better, that's a reach. If Tremble doesn't yeah. get any better, that's a reach. Well, yeah. you know, you know Chaba Hubbard probably, Chuba Hubbard even is probably decent value even doesn't improve that much, but again needs to improve to, to make it look like a good pick. So I, and, yeah, and theoretically he wouldn't be a starter for some time. You know, no, right? no, no. I mean he probably will not. You, if you're the Panthers, you hope he never becomes a starter. Um, right, <laughs> based on what you've done in you know, with the contract situation. Yeah, but but I mean ultimately every time you draft a player, you hope you can make them better. Yeah, you know if if you you know that's that's part of your job as coaches and the fact that they're young players like that's not unreasonable. Um, but all of these players have got quite significant, well, not all of them, a lot of the prospects Panthers have drafted have got quite a lot of boom-bust nature. Um, Tremble probably hasn't got that much bust potential, but has a lot of, like, significant reach potential, shall we say. Um, But but really, you know, there's there's a lot of boom-bust, and hopefully it all averages out and you get some boom and some bust, and actually, on the whole, it doesn't look too bad. Yeah. Um, but but you need to you know to make it a good class. You need to be able to show that you can get more boom than bust. Like if you flipped around the Tommy Trumbull pick and the Davion Nixon pick, like the draft board, you know, would actually make more sense in terms of where you got the guy. Yeah, I think so. I I, I think Nixon yeah. is. I think there's clearly some things that have caused him to drop. Um, yeah. Whether they're character concerns, whether they're questions about coachability, it's hard to know. I mean, you know, it, yeah. ultimately the tape is only part of the picture. And, right. and and so, you know, it, it's very hard to say from distance exactly why he dropped. I mean, like Deontay Brown was pretty clear it was his weight that caused him to drop, which I think yeah. is probably a fair assessment. Yeah. Um, but, but you know, some other guys, it's, it's harder to tell exactly why they didn't get picked earlier. Yeah, I um, think Sean Smith, you know, even though we I think we got him at a good spot, I think, you know, that was some of his con- concerns too, I think, early on in his career. There may have been some character stuff, off-field stuff. Yeah, that may have mentioned his spot. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, so, I mean, it, it makes sense. And like you say, you know, there's definitely a lot of boom and bust, um, you know, and, you know, just hoping that, you know, obviously as a fan, you know, that we get the boom and, um, yeah. and that this comes away as like one of the most memorable, you know, draft classes, you know, in Panthers history, you know, we turned this into some, you know, to some consistent winning down the road. Uh, but we only have two more guys, you know, yeah. that we drafted, you know, so if you can go over those guys. Yes. Um, I must say my analysis of long snapping is, is fairly limited. Um, (laughs) I think what I would say is by all accounts he was the best long snapper in the draft Um, he's been very good at Alabama Uh, from what I understand there are some not concerns but just he has needs to show that he can be a a good like blocker um, when it comes to punts and and, and kicks having not really been asked to do that very much at at Alabama Um, but 
good athlete for the position, very good record snapping the ball. Seems like a nice enough bloke. Um, <laughs> I ultimately, I think it's one of those things where if he comes in, he looks really good in camp. I think it's the end of the road for JJ Janssen, yeah. um, which given yeah. his age, probably isn't that surprising. Right. Um, but also at the same time, like if he comes in and looks that they're, they're not just going to cut Janssen because they've drafted a guy. If he looks bad in camp, I think he like it, it is a legitimate competition. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I say this, they might just then cut JJ Janssen tomorrow and I'll look like an idiot. Um, right. <laughs> but, but having to that, you know, given how reliable Janssen has been, I think you, and given how little he's been, like, it's not like he's going to cost $5 million next year or anything like this. I, right. I, I think you at least want to see the young guy get into camp and look good before you cut the veteran. Let me ask you uh, a question. Is there, is there a possibility that you can have two lone snappers on your, on your team? No. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, yeah. It was daft enough when the Panthers were carrying two kickers for a, for a week or so back in, was it 2017? Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> and, and yeah, no, it, it, yeah, yeah, I don't carry too long snappers. Um, so when, I, when, I, when I think about the fact that whatever JJ Jackson is being paid and that there's no dead cap associated with it, then I'm just going to prepare myself for JJ Jackson being gone. But, you know, I can, you know, we can be surprised, you know, if this guy comes in and stinks it up and, and JJ Jackson is like, hey, I, 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 th- I think it's a reasonably smart move by the Panthers. I mean, like, ultimately, Jansen is is right at the end of his career. Like, even if he played yeah. next year, he's on. You know, he's probably not going to. He's on a one year deal with no money guaranteed. That's a right. I'm right at the end of my career type deal. Um, yeah. I don't think there would be too many hard feelings if it was like. Do you think maybe now would be a good time to retire? If that conversation yeah, starts yeah, yeah, off yeah. late August, yeah. I think that I don't think he'd go. This is how dare you treat me this way, kind of thing. I, I think this is a. I think it's definitely a much smarter move to draft long snapper now and end up cutting them, than to get to next year and go like, oh, he's retiring. Ah, oh, yeah, um, and I have to find a guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you, yeah. you know. The thing I come back to, I realize this is not a reference that all um all American fans would get, but like. When Arsenal sold Thierry Henry, they sold Thierry Henry maybe a little bit too soon, but it's much yeah. better to sell the guy a little bit too soon than a little bit too late. Like it's much yeah. better to, to to move on just before the guy reaches the cliff than yeah. halfway down the, the the fall kind of thing. Yeah. Um, obviously, it depends a bit on contract situations and stuff. And ultimately, long snappers, it's a, you know, it's not the end of the world. Um, and, you know, in like it, you're not going to pay JJ Anson some like five year, eighty million dollar deal, so you're not going to sort of be have this massive negative cap implication either way. But I think if they look kind of equal in camp, you probably cut Jansen because he's not going to be here in three years' time. Whereas no, the like twenty two year old guy might be here in three years' time. And um, I think it must have been Josh who mentioned that. Thomas Fletcher never had a bad snap in his full career at Alabama. So no, he's clearly about as good a long snapper as you could want coming out of college football. Yeah. I again, how well that translates to the NFL. I mean, it's one of the things like when you're playing for Alabama, you're you're better than a lot of teams. You know, Alabama have produced some very good kickers and punters who have then gone to the NFL and not been anything special because ultimately yeah. when everyone around you is elite. Yeah. Um, and you're, you know, knocking you stuff out of the opponent. You credit it with the winning. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I mean like, I think the guy, was it Cody Mandel, who was the punter at Alabama? 
and who was just like comfortably the best punter in, in college football goes to the NFL and it's just like, yeah, he's not any really very good. But it was because yeah. when, when Alabama were punting, it was generally because it was like the third quarter and they were already 40 points up and had the second yeah. team in. It was, uh, it was inconsequential. Yeah, and, and don't wrong, he had some big punts for Alabama. It wasn't all that, but like there's a big difference between being a really good, you know, being a good college player in an elite program and being a good NFL player. Right. Um, which is why, you know, Alabama have produced some elite offensive linesmen, but they've right. also produced some guys who've been in pretty much nothing at the NFL level because, yeah. you, know, you know, they were the fourth guy on a great offensive line rather yeah. than having to be a star by themselves. So I, I, I you know, I think he looked, you know, I have as much optimism about him as I could have for any long snapper, but that's not necessarily that strong a statement. And then in the context as well, you know, I mean, not that you had to pick a long snapper with your 10th pick of your draft, you know, but, you know, we were at pick 10 and it was late in the day. And, you know, at that point, you know, it's almost like you, you got a head start on your undrafted free agents, yeah, you know, much. but you just wanted to make sure that you weren't competing to sign a guy after the draft was over. And so I think Matt yeah. Rule, you know, like you said, you know, I think they knew that they had a situation coming up, you know, with JJ Jansen, you know, being at that age and, and starting to look for the future. And it was like, okay, we don't want to have to compete for the best long snapper in the country. We're just going to sign him. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, they, and they had a, and they had a, a seven round pick coming a few picks after that six round pick. So, you know, it kind yeah. of it is what it is, you know? I would say at the point when you start drafting long snappers, you've probably used up most of your board. Like, yeah. Well, they said they only had like 150 something guys on the board. Yeah, yeah. Right? And like, there, there are definitely guys who went after that who I quite liked, who I saw as very draftable prospects. Yeah. But either might have had medical concerns, might have had off field concerns, might, you know, or they just didn't rate. And they might be wrong. I might, you know, what, well, you know, yeah. Yeah. You, no one is right about all of these players. Yeah. Um, and, and every year there are players you really like who fall for some reason you don't realize. And sometimes you're, you end up being right and sometimes you end up being wrong. Right. Um, but, 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 you know, I, I, I think anyone sort of saying, like, I can't believe they took a long snapper over this guy. Yeah. You might be right, but probably they didn't have that guy as a draftable player. Right. Would be my, or maybe my personal view. Um, their final pick was, is it Phil Hawkins or Phil Hankins? Phil Hoskins. Hoskins, that's it. Sorry, I'm terrible yeah. names. Um, again, I think he's probably going to have an uphill battle to make the roster. Um, I think has some talent, reasonable athlete, technically fairly underdeveloped, but, you know, we'll come in, we'll compete, we'll have a chance. If someone gets hurt, we'll, we'll definitely have a chance. But, yeah, I, I, this feels like a, a bringing in somebody to compete to make the roster rather than expecting them to make the yeah, roster. Yeah, like, a, um, you know, for Panthers fans, you know, a guy like a Woodrow Hamilton or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and with your seventh round pick, that's not the end of the world. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't have any sort of particularly detailed things to say about him. I couldn't find that much tape on the guy, but he seems decent, but, you know, like a seventh round pick, really. Um, yeah, I saw him make one athletic, you know, I just watched some highlights. And I saw him make, you know, like a really athletic play against Georgia where he batted the ball up and, you know, was able to track it down and kept, you know, get the interception and run before a few yards or whatever. So, uh, you know, you know, just a big guy, you know, and people always root for the big guys being disruptive. and Yeah, the big know, guy, yeah, pretty good athlete. Yeah, pretty good athlete, you know, like you say, you know, could get to camp and, you know, and, and edge out, you know, a guy at the bottom of the, the defensive tackle room. Yeah. And, you if Bravion Roy, Roy doesn't look very good in year two or doesn't really make any progress and he comes in and has a good camp, he has a chance to win that spot. You know, and it's yeah. that is that kind of pick rather than a, a guy who necessarily is part of the long-term plan. 
Because um, was Bravion the sixth round pick last year? Yes. Yeah, so there's not a difference. It's not a big difference between where they picked up Bravion last year in the sixth round and a guy no. like Bill Hoskins in the seventh this year. I think every single one of their day three picks last year could get cut. Not will get cut, <laughs> yeah. but like I don't think any of them are like are so, secure. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, most, um, you know, with that being the, the end of like all the guys we drafted, were you surprised that they didn't go after a safety at some point? A little bit. Um, I think they do quite like the guys they already have. I think there will genuinely be a competition between Robinson, Franklin, Hartsfield. Um, and and even then, I think they probably, if they're moving Chin to safety a bit more, I mean, also, what on earth they're doing defensively schematically is still very up in the air. Yeah, like, exactly. How they're going to fit the pieces together is really unclear, but they, they have pieces to fit. It's just to be about, it'll be how it shakes out in the mix kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I would have thought they probably would draft a safety. I just don't think the board necessarily fell that way. Um, I think Kerry Vincent Jr. being the one sort of caveat to that. Um, but yeah, no, I, 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 I'm a little, a little surprised. But ultimately, once you get past the first like couple of rounds, it's basically just who's there rather than any sort of positional focus. Um, yeah, um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I'm not that shocked. Uh, yeah, yeah, a, a little surprise rather than a shock would be my my view, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, only because I was like, oh, you just signed AJ Bouye, you know, to a two year deal, which is really just a one year deal when you look at it. Yeah. Um, but you know, just the fact that you know he just automatically chose the Dante and JC pairing over just saying that JC, you know, adds a lot to the to the cornerback room or whatever. You know, I was like, okay, you know, that do you have a vision for Dante? being your other cornerback, of, you, know, you know, going forward, you know, you're going to have to look at maybe resigning him or, you know, and uh, and then, I, you know, and also a question I have for AJ Bouye, and maybe you can answer this. I don't know this, and I don't think, um, you know, that he is, but, like, do you see a role where maybe AJ Bouye could be, you know, play some safety? I don't think so. I think what you'd probably see is that, I mean, Bouye's got a two-week suspension to work off. I think I, yeah. I'd imagine that, they're going to spend a lot of time in three corners on the field and it'll be Dante, yeah. AJ Bouye and, and um, yeah, JC Horn. Yeah. I think probably the question will be whether how good Bouye looks and how good Keith Taylor looks and whether that's probably not necessarily this year, but whether next year they view that as a transition where Keith Taylor takes over as that, that CB3. And they um, can move over from AJ or Dante, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it gives you some flexibility there. Um, yeah. I mean, I think what it does give you is it gives you matchups. Um, you know, Dante is really fast, but isn't that physical. Yeah. Um, Horn is very physical and really fast, and right. Bouye is kind of pretty fast and pretty physical. Yeah, um, yeah I, I'd imagine that it would be Burris. I mean, it's one of those if I was guessing, I'd say they probably play a f- with the four man front. I'd imagine you play like Jermaine and Shaq. And uh, yeah, it's really it's. I think the thing is, is the, what happens at safety is also a question about what happens at linebacker. Yeah. Because if Chin plays that dime linebacker, then you need another safety. But if Sh- Chin moves to safety pretty much full time, then it's who plays at linebacker. Shaq. Um, well, Shaq definitely plays, but who else yeah. plays at linebacker? Um, I don't know if you can trust. I think you have to trust Carter over Pyramid. I think you probably aren't going to play. I could see in like. What I could kind of see happening is you play 
Shaq and Carter most of the time. Yeah. And you alternate between, say, Perryman and a third safety. Yeah. Or, but then you've got, yeah, it's... it's that, that seems like it would be Carter in the third safety. Yeah, I think the thing is, is that, that Perryman is, is, is... Carter is the be- better athlete in space, I would say. Yeah. Um, like, in obvious passing situations, you probably don't want Perryman on the field. Right. Um, I mean, you might go to like full sort of drop it and kind of go three man front. In obvious positive situations, I wouldn't be shocked if it's like three man front, Shaq and Chin as the two linebackers, and then have like Bouye, Dante, Horn, and Burris as or Burris slash Kenny Robinson or something as, as yeah. the as the DBs. Um, but it, on rundowns, maybe you have. Uh, like a four-man front, then you have like Perryman and Shaq and Carter. I mean, it, it really depends a lot on personnel. I, I, I think it's interesting because like last year made a big point about wanting to be to be able to put the same eleven guys out and play every offense yeah. with eleven guys. That feels like it's gone. Like I don't, yeah. I don't. The moves they make suggest that not going to be what they do this year. Because right. because if you do that, then it's like okay, well you've got Reddick and Burns as your edge players. So are you going to play a three-man front all the time? Or are you going to play a four-man front with those guys as the edges? Perryman, are you going to play him on passing downs? How are you going to convert between... Like, the well, only I, think, way you... I think the way they would do it is, like, let's say, you know, like you play a three-man front and, like, like whatever edge you have down, you know, is somebody that you feel like, you know, you could easily just drop, you know, and, and, and drop them back in coverage. Um, and I would imagine that would be more Burns than Reddick. I mean, Reddit can definitely drop at times. It just, yeah. it should be at times, not, you know. Yeah, not not like the standard. <laughs> but, but but like similar with him and Burns, like they're on the field to rush the passer, but they can drop into coverage. They can drop, um, yeah. I think they're probably fairly similar in that regard. I I, I must say, I, I'm, I'm going to have to think about it for a bit. Yeah, because like on any just... given, like if you went up with a 3-4 with those guys being your outside linebackers, then you have a lot of flexibility to, you know, to just brush three and drop, you know, drop four yeah, um, the, at, the, the, at the second level. The, you know, the, drop. the question is what the six behind that looks back uh, looks like. I mean, I think Shaq and oh, Chin yeah. are going to be there on every play. Yes. I'd imagine Horn and one of Dante and Bouye are going to be there every play. I think two of those three guys are on the field every play. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's then nine guys. And the question is, okay, who of... Perryman, Carter, another cornerback, Burris, Hartsfield. You know, how, how does that all fit together? I think Burris, out of all those guys. I think probably he's the most flexible. Yeah, yeah. I keep thinking, like, you know, even to me, like, he's not, like, the best individual player out of all of them. I think they can do the most with him. Yeah. I'm not... I. I I, I think we'll definitely see more rotation on the back six slash seven than yeah. that we did last year, just, just because they've got more options and more guys who have clearer roles. Like, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how Perryman gets used. Yeah. Like whether it's a battle between him and Carter to start opposite Shaq. Because it, yeah. To me, that is the battle, you know, like to me, like that, that, move allows Shaq to be, you know, like more of a natural weak side backer. And I know in this, in the three, four alignment, he would be just another inside guy, you know, but he would be the, the, the inside guy with the least responsibility, kind of like how he lined up beside Luke, 
you know, in the three, four, two years ago. So, um, you know, like I think it would be between Pyramid and Carter, where I think Carter has more versatility. I think if it was like an obvious short down situation, I'm putting yeah, that you there. Yeah, Pyramid on the field. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Or I, might, I may even put Pyramid and Carter in versus Shaq um, if I knew it was an obvious run situation. Yeah. Um, I think you really have Shaq in there to coordinate and to organize people. Yeah, but, just because um, he's the leader of the defense, you know, like me, but, you know, like of the, at least, you know, like he's, I think he called the plays last year. But um, I don't know, man, it's, it's so much to unpack. We probably just need to do another um, episode at some point, you know, just to kind of talk yeah, about, you know, what that scheme is, ends up looking like as we get further into the offseason. I think um, I, I need to go away and think about it for a while. I think yeah, I still yeah, yeah. So can't I can, I can, I can see, together. Yeah, I can see your gears, you know, turning. And um, and so, and mine are too. So I think as we get closer to training camp and see guys on the field, you know, during practice, you know, we can kind of, start speculating a little bit, you know, a little bit yeah. more intelligently. But, you know, so we've gone through all the prospects and I know that we we made a few uh, undrafted free agent signings. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if you want to spend a couple of minutes, you know, just talking about, you know, those guys we mentioned, um, David Moore from Grambling State earlier, you know, as being a, a good prospect, you know, you know, on the offensive line at guard, you know, are there any other guys you want to mention before we go? Yeah, I mean, I'll go into a little bit of detail about Moore for a second. I mean, he, he is definitely... A little bit developmental, like, you know, obviously comes from a smaller school. Um, yeah. Good athlete, um, but does really need some technical work. Like, he's a guy who I think will probably struggle to make the roster this year, um, yeah. but is a prime candidate to end up with a practice squad and then compete next year kind of thing. Um, you know, depending on what he looks like in camp, if he's really good in camp, then I could see them sneaking him on as, like, the, the 53rd guy or whatever. Is it 55 this year? I need to check that. It's, it's getting late, but um, yeah, he he's not going to play this year, I don't think, and unless he comes in and is just spectacular, he, he's a guy who who needs to develop for a year or so. Yeah, I, I just saw a tweet from Lance Zerline, you know, who was like David Moore and Deontay Brown in Carolina, you know, big dogs up front with potential to become starters, you know, and I think you know the big word there is is um, operative word is potential. Yeah, so you know maybe we shouldn't look for that this year, but you know, maybe in twenty twenty two. You know, that's something that we can look forward to is those guys being our interior offensive linemen at both guard positions. Yeah, I mean, I, David Moore did actually take some snaps at centre um, at the senior bowl. So, okay. I mean, what you really want to see is Deontay Brown, David Moore, and um, John Miller is your interior yeah. three, where you That'd have an average nice. weight of about 330 pounds. <laughs> and you might not, you know, you might not be, uh, be, be running too many screens, but uh, yeah, you can you can go up the middle fairly. You can run power, you know, you yeah. can run power with Christian and Chuba, Chuba Hubbard, you know, yeah, so I mean, that's, that's something interesting to watch. Yeah, no, I, I don't think that ends up happening. I think he stays at guard. But with yeah. that said, I, like, you know, he, he, him and Deontay Brown would be a, a fairly, you know, it would be two guards who are nearly as, as, as sort of, broad as they are tall kind of thing. Um, yeah, so immovable objects. They may not be able to move much themselves, but they are immovable. Oh, so, so I think he's more agile than that. I think what, what the appeal for him is that he does actually have good agility. Like I think he his question is technique. Okay. Um, like he's just technically really, really raw. Um, but but he actually is. So I think he's about 320 pounds, which is 25 pounds lighter than, than Deontay Brown, which is astonishing given how large more looks. Um, but But... He moves well for 320 pounds. He just doesn't always move particularly controlled. 
Yeah. Um, and his hand usage is a bit frenetic and he needs to bend his knees more. Um, yeah, yeah, basically just technically very raw, which is understandable given where he's come from, but um, yeah. but but has real upside. Like it definitely has starter potential. Yeah. Um, some other UDFAs, I mean, Paddy Fisher, the linebacker from Northwestern, I think I'd be very surprised if he made the roster. I mean, there isn't a ton of depth at linebacker, but I think he's a... Uh, I think he's going to struggle for athleticism. I think, you know, again, Perry, he could maybe play that Perryman role of like that inside thumper, but yeah. like he's he's not going to be covering too much ground in in, in coverage, I'll put it that way. Yeah, um, just, a, just a, a heady linebacker, knows the game type, you know, if yeah. you find a niche on special teams maybe. Yeah, I, I think he's... Yeah, m- movement is going to be the, his biggest issue, whether he can just get down, you know, whether he can just m- be impactful enough on special teams. I, I, yeah. I mean, they, they signed tons of linebackers in, as UDFAs last year, and then like none of them stuck apart from Sam Franklin, who ended up pretty much playing safety. Yeah. Um, so it'll be interesting to see whether he, he makes any impact this year. Um, other UDFAs, oh, I'm going to have a go with this one. Oscar Dragucevic, I think, is the, uh, the way you pronounce it, um, who is the Washington State punter. Um, yeah. I think he's really insurance um, well, if Joe Charlton. Charlton gets hurt. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Joe Charlton was insurance in case Mike, well, when Mike Pilardi got cut, he was, oh, we need a punter. Um, yeah, you'll do. And he was very good as a rookie. So he was good. I thought he did. He had a good season. So I'm looking forward to year two with Charlton. Yeah. And Dragucevic. I apologize so much for the pronunciation there. Um, but, I but, I I'm not trying to correct you because I don't know how to say him either. Yeah. He actually had a really good stance at Washington State. So I think he, you know, he can be. You know, he isn't just like a complete obvious, definitely not going to make it in the NFL type guy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think he he's going to have to play really well to beat out Joe Charlton. Yeah. Um, Mason Stock, Stocky, Stoke, I don't know how you pronounce it. Um, fullback from Wisconsin. Uh, mm-hmm. Didn't really play that much of a role. Did have, you know, had, did run the ball occasionally, did get thrown the ball occasionally. But um, I think he's going to be you know, but I think Tommy Tremble probably plays quite a lot of fullback, but we'll we'll see how that works out. But I think he offers you another option at fullback along with Mikey Daniel, who they uh, yeah. signed from Atlanta. Um, and finally, Spencer Brown, the UAB running back, um, you know, put up huge numbers at UAB. I think he is UAB's all-time leading rusher, over four thousand like yards. Two hundred twenty pounds, right? Yeah, like six six two two twenty, something like the six foot two twenty even. Um, yeah, more than four thousand yards rushing, forty something touchdowns, um, big sort of thumper type back. Yeah. I think has a chance to make the roster. Certainly offers them something different. We'll be able to yeah. see whether he gets asked to play some fullback as well. Um, the big thing with him is he just didn't get thrown the ball very much. Um, yeah. And whether you know he needs to show he can make an impact in the passing game, particularly if he's playing running back. You know, you, you, you can't be a guy who can't get thrown the ball. Um, so, well, yeah. I think, you know, based on what we know about the running back room now, if, if they are committed to keeping Chuba, you know, and they invested a fourth round pick in him, you know, then you start looking at guys like if Chuba is, is really good out of the backfield and catching the ball, you know, like he claims he is, you know. He I can, think he, yeah, he needs to, he needs to get better as a route runner. Um, yeah. like he, he, he's okay as a receiver currently. He needs to get better. Yeah. So, you know, but if he, if he can maintain that role, you know, then that kind of leaves Bonafon, I think, as a spendable, um, you know, because then I think they, st- they should have a more, you know, like definite power guy you know, in the running back room. And, you know, so it, it'll be between he and the and the, and the the gentleman we we got from Newberry College, you know, the signing earlier this year, you know. Yeah, yeah. In terms Goodness of who name. can be that guy. Yeah, 
it is interesting. They do have a lot of running backs currently. Yeah. Like normally they go into training camp with like four, maybe five running backs. I yeah. think they now have seven. Yeah, they have a lot. Like they've got a lot of running backs. Yeah, um, they have a lot. I think there will be a legitimate competition for all of... I, I, I think there's a chance they carry four ball carriers. Yeah. Um, particularly if you think Tremble's going to play a lot of fullback. Like if, yeah. if, if you've got a blocker already who can play fullback, um, I think that gives you a chance to carry a fourth ball carrier, particularly if you think they're going to play a lot of special teams as well. I mean, yeah. I think Bonifon, if if they end up, if they draft Chuba Hubbard to cut Bonifon, I think I'd find that very frustrating. Um, right. Because, right. like, you're cutting a guy who is a perfectly competent NFL player um, yeah. to, and you're, you know, draft yeah you know, I, I don't think there's that much difference between them if there is any at all i think bonafon is a better receiver um i mean bonafon is a former receiver like he is a, a yeah. legitimate no, bonafon can do everything well um, yeah it's unfortunate he, that he got hurt last year i think he's got a somewhat odd running style that kind of maybe goes against him like i remember matt rule when when bonafon did play a bit this year it's worth remembering that reggie bonafon has a career rushing average of over six yards to carry like like yeah. reggie bonafon is his stats are he averages over seven yards a touch as a pro player. That's that serious, but not even that, but like he's just, you know, he's a really surprisingly good running back. Yeah. I remember like, like after he had quite a good game um, when after McCaffrey went down and, and um, Matt Raw was like, he, he, you know, he didn't quite see it with Bonafont until he got on the field and did it. And I yeah. think he's definitely a guy who looks like when he's playing running back, he looks strange running the ball. Right, like he's got very long legs, looks kind of gangly and stuff, and, and looks a bit sort of uncomfortable. Like he doesn't look like a natural ball carrier, and yet when he gets the ball in his hand and gets running, he you know he's actually really effective, and he's surprisingly hard to bring down. He's more powerful than you'd think he would be, um, yeah. and although he's not sort of like super super fast, he's got enough speed to hit big runs, and is a really good route runner for a running back as a converted receiver. So like, uh, yeah. But, I, I mean, I have a bit of a soft spot for Reggie Bonifant. I think he's just stylistically a very nice player to watch. But I think he is a he's the kind of player that there should be a role for in an offense in the NFL. Like he does enough things well that you should be able to find a way to get him the ball four or five times a game. And I, and I hope, you know, I hope if he stays on the team that, you know, that they can carve out a role for him. I just don't want him just being on the team for the sake of being on the team. And I know there's, a, there's room for that, you know, just depth and insurance. Um, you know, but, you know, if, if one of these other guys, you know, can offer more and it doesn't, you know, seem like, you know, that's the case. But, you know, if they do, you know, it's like with every other position, you know, like just let the best man win. Yeah, yeah absolutely. You know, absolutely. And, and cut your losses. You know, I mean, I, I think Bonifant can do all of those things. I've seen him do it. Um, I was very excited to see him get the opportunity last year. You know, it's unfortunate that he got hurt as well. But, um, but you know, We'll see. You know, it's, it's, I think the great part about where we are on this roster, especially after this draft, is that there's going to be competition at, at almost every um, position group yeah. um, this year. And that's something that I don't think we could really say last year. You know, like the roster was really depleted. It was young, you know, and, um, and now you got all those young guys that were drafted last year. Um, now they're coming into year two. Um, and you know, and there's a few positions where nobody's safe in terms of knowing that they're going to be on the roster um, in terms of the, you know, the, the, the first year guys, you know, the, the rookies and the, and the second year guys. And so they're all going to have to come into camp really ready to earn their spots. 
And um, so it's going it's to be interesting to see how it shakes out. You know, you know, if I know Scott Fitter comes from the Seattle camp, you know, where for them, you know, Pete Carroll, it was competition every day. You know, he didn't care yeah. about your draft position. He didn't care about, you know, what your name, any of that. You just have to be the best guy. And if Scott Fitter is bringing that to Carolina, and Matt Rule has always said that he's like that, then you know, we should end up with some really good guys on the on the 53-man roster and um, and even in and on the practice squad. So uh, so looking forward to that, man. And, um, yeah. you know, we're trying to wrap this thing up. You know, we we, we covered a lot today. Um, it's been a, it's been a, a ride with you, Vincent, you know, yeah. with uh, Skyler and the culture, you know, like I've really enjoyed it, brother. And um, I appreciate the fact that you wanted to partner um with me you know and and bringing this to everybody this year and um it was it was a learning experience for me you know I had never done a podcast I had only been on one podcast before this which was crazy so uh I'm not a pro uh broadcaster or anything like that you know but um but I enjoyed this because it gave me as a fan an opportunity to learn I never considered myself an analyst or anything like that on Twitter. I'm a fan like everybody else. And um and but I, I really like to to study. I like to to dig into some of these guys and their stories. I watch college football um almost as much as I watch the NFL and um and especially the teams that are right there in the Carolinas and um uh, and Notre Dame. So um you know but this kind of stretched me out a little bit, forced me to go and research guys, you know, um and and learn more about them other than just seeing their names and recognizing names. So, um, and, you know, and, and you, um, you don't get committed enough for, you know, the work that you do and, you know, and as much as you study, you know, these guys. So it was cool being able to do it alongside you. Yeah, um, and for the last, what, 13, 13 weeks, weeks so, yeah. Yeah, so it's been, I never imagined I would do any project like this, um, you know, as a, as a fan. So um, it's been dope um, to everybody who has listened to us, you know, over the 13 weeks. We appreciate you, you know, joining us for this ride. Um, I think it culminated, you know, with a pretty um, enjoyable experience, you know, this weekend, you know, with the draft and, you know, and, and this just kind of um, just recaps, you know, all of that. You know, I, I think we were on point with a lot of our analysis, you know, along the way, you know, nobody ever gets it all right, you know, but I yeah. think everybody who was drafted for the most part was covered you know, in, in our episodes, you know, there were a few people that I don't think we really went into depth on, but, but we, we covered most of these prospects at some point. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and that was refreshing to see because like nobody was drafted outside of the long snap and maybe Phil Hoskins, where I felt like I just didn't know who the guy was at all. Yeah. And so, um, and so if you were listening, then maybe you felt that way too. And, um, and that's why we did it. So, um, so, you know, congratulations to, you know, to everybody, you know, for this draft. Um, I know Vincent has it as a C, but Vincent's a hard guy. And so um, I have it as an oh, A. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I, think, I think overall I'd probably go C plus B minus. So like, you still hard though, man. You know, so that's, but, but that's, why, that's, why, that's why I appreciate doing this with you because you, you're really a realist in that way. Uh, yeah, I think better than average. No, I, I think it has a chance to be very good. I, I think it's the same like the conversation I had when we did the sort of the summary podcast for 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 last season, where it was like has the potential to be very good. On average, will probably end up being slightly better than you know. Once all yeah. the players, if all the players were you know, if the players get if they coach them to be above the average expectation, it will be a really good draft class. There's definitely the potential for it to be very good, but there's also not that much security. 
like the guys who I think if they put them out week one will be like high quality starters is JC Horn. Um, and and that's it. And that's not that surprising. That's kind of typical of a lot of draft classes, but, um, yeah, that there's, there's a lot of upside, not that much floor, um, and how well it gets judged will depend on how well they're able to coach players away from the average expectation, basically. If, if they, if they, if they struggle to develop these guys, this class could look quite rough. If they do a good job of developing these guys, this class could look very good. And it's yeah. kind of it's now down to the coaching stuff to 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 make good on what they've done. Absolutely. Um, outside of that, do you have any other closing thoughts? Um, see you in 2022, really. <laughs> Absolutely. So, you know, I've enjoyed this. You know, if God willing, you know, maybe we'll do another scout in the culture in 2022. And um, and um, who knows, you may be hearing from us, you know, from time to time throughout the season, but it's been a pleasure, you know, um, if you uh, want to interact about this episode or any of the previous episodes or just the, the prospects in general, you know, as we prepare for the offseason, you know, you can always find us on Twitter. Um, my handle is at Panthers Culture. Uh, Vincent's handle is VRichardson444. Um, and so, you know, please feel free to reach out, interact, um, rate, and then review us. And we'll be seeing you later on. Peace. Good luck. Yeah.